Tell me something, girl. Are you happy in this modern world? Or do you need more? Is there something else you're searching for? I'm falling in all the good times. I find myself longing for change, and in the bad times, I fear myself. Hey everybody, welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley, and I'm super excited because this is our annual Favorite Movies of the Year show 2018 edition, which means I'm joined for this very special episode by JB. I have to get my script to Alice Detroit. And Adam That's an inside Risky. joke. <laughs> From three minutes ago. And Adam Risky. I put on cologne for just this episode. <laughs> wow. Because we the best deserves this the best. is as fancy as we get. We rate. Unfortunately, it's Draca Noir. Oh, well, that's all right. Um, I enjoy doing this episode every year. I struggled making my list this year. Mm-hmm. I struggled because I think it was a great year and it was hard to winnow it down to 10. I know last week you said there were films that you liked, yes. but really only two that gut punched you. Yeah. But I thought this year was an embarrassment of riches. I thought there was a lot of good movies and just almost none that I loved. Perhaps. I'm closer to you on that one. Yeah. I had a very easy time coming up with honorable mentions, but I feel like a 10 favorites list has to be somewhat personalized yeah and i even said to you i'm just like pick my number 10 because i don't <laughs> care like i like these movies just yeah. enough yeah it's yeah. just in adam risky abdicates his responsibility for his top 10 list <laughs> taking requests <laughs> i think one of the problems is i think a truly great film doesn't really establish itself until years later when oh for everyone's sure one's had a chance to digest it for sure so once we've digested it and had a cinematic ball movement or two. That's called May- January. <laughs> yeah. More um, Erica more. and I have talked about if we can find our old top ten lists from like the late 90s, early 2000s. We were going to do a show where we would pick a year and go through our old list and then talk about what our new list would be if we were picking favorites from that year. You have to do this. Sounds I like think it would be experiment. so embarrassing because no, I, for sure at that point I was like, this belongs on here, right? Mm-hmm. Like The Red Violin, number <laughs> exactly. two. Not 21 number Grams should be on a top ten <laughs> list, right? I wound up stopping. More <laughs> I wound up stopping this, but the year I started teaching, at the end of the year, because I didn't think my students were going to see enough new movies, I put together this thing called... Well, it was 1985, the year in film. And it was all the 10 best lists from Ebert and Siskel and Geyer and uh, New York Times and stuff like that. And then at the very end, I included my own. And I did that for maybe 10, 20 years. And I still have maybe 10 of those. And um, 
on the rare occasions when I go back, it's in a folder somewhere in my office. I'm I'm not cringing okay. at most of my choices. Well, that's good. Occasionally, you know, there's one that's the flavor of the month, and you're like, oh, what was I thinking? Well, yeah. Yeah. other people were thinking just that at the end of that year. I would have probably three on each list that I'd be like, huh? Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see if we do it, but... That damn December curse where they get you when you're high on something. I got to put on something effect. that I just yeah. saw this week. Mm-hmm. Last year I put a, a ghost story on there. Like, have I thought about that movie since? I'm no. surprised that you backpedaled on a ghost story. No, it's out because you sounded like it really it hit was, you. It's good. I yeah. like it. I, I actually, will never see it again. I yeah. actually, well, it's one of those movies that you really don't have to. But I have thought about ghost story since then okay and it only rises in my expect, right. well, in my expectations in my estimation yeah. it's really really great so we're going to count down from 10 to 1 as is always the way uh if one of us has a movie higher on our list we will wait and discuss it at its uh, until its highest point that it appears on anybody's list my one and two i feel good about where they are my 9 and 10 are probably where they should be. Everything in between is arbitrary. Like, I don't feel passionate about any of the rankings. <laughs> I don't know how <laughs> passionate I feel about some of the movies that I put on here. It's this kind of year. Yeah. So when the movie police break in, yes. you're just going to give yourself up. Oh, for you're sure. You're not going to fight for Not at all. They, yeah. they, they, uh... Even on First Amendment ground. It's like you have a lot of mystic rivers this year. You're looking, you're <laughs> trying to find out where that SWAT's going to be. It's all it's just mystic like, rivers Why wasn't SWAT on there? What is the critical reputation of mystic river today? I don't think it's very... I don't think people think about it yeah. too much. And, or, I, and I don't think it's yeah. very high because I think like Tim Robbins won an Oscar. Yes. And it was nominated for other ones. And yeah. I think now people are like, huh? Like we like Tim Robbins, but huh? And Sean Penn is crazy. I think now people are like, yeah, Kevin Bacon was the one who was <laughs> yeah. actually doing all the good work in that movie. Yeah. And Marsha Gay Harden, who also – no, she didn't win. She won for Pollock. Yes. Yes. But she's very good in that movie, in Myst- uh, Mystic River. I forgot who it was, but somebody – like one stand-up had a, a joke about Pollock one time, and they're just like, an Oscar for Pollock? Even Ed Harris didn't see Pollock. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking about Ed Harris the other day because yesterday we watched some Elia Kazan movie and I was thinking about him and Amy Madigan refusing to stand when they gave him his honorary Oscar. Yeah. And I like that. If you want to read a funny <laughs> – this is to our listeners. If you want to read a funny Ed Harris story, always go in the trivia for The Abyss and read about his cabbage diet and it's one of the funniest things that you'll ever I, read. No, I remember reading what? that. Oh, no, it's, it's nuts. <laughs> Let's not spoil it. Yeah. Okay. I'll it's, tell you after the no, show. No, it's oh. it's, it's better if you like read it. This sounds terrible. <laughs> it's <been> great. <laughs> I once had the opportunity to see Marsha Gay Harden live on stage, and was oh my she God. in God of Carnage? Yeah, yeah, she a great actress. Yeah, she is. And she was very nice afterward when we mm-hmm. went to the stage door. Even better, as opposed to some other people I'm not going to mention. Even better. Um. All right. So, uh, Adam Risky. Yeah. You can kick us off with your number 10, sir. All right. Um, you know what my number 10 is, but I want to preface to our audience and to John. Because he let me pick it. Yeah. Don't. But leave. I didn't pick it. John, don't leave immediately. <laughs> and everybody who's listening, don't turn it off. Like It's every, not Gotti. It's not Gotti. <laughs> that was my guess. <laughs> my number. Okay. My, I was I was going back and forth about my number 10 for a, with a lot of movies, like seven movies. And it's just because none of them earned it. Um, <laughs> as I was just like, okay, Patrick, pick one. And then 
I do that sometimes with Twitter polls where I'm just like, okay, this is what people want, but it doesn't feel right to me. So now this helps clarify my answer. <laughs> um, number 10, I'll liken to, they embarrass me a lot, but they're like my kids and I can't deny my two children. <laughs> so it's a tie between Hellfest and Little Italy. All right. Yeah. Starting us off strong. This yes. is good. <laughs> no, I don't have a problem. I wouldn't get up. I, so, I, I, I don't I, have a problem with either of them. I haven't seen choices. Little Italy. Okay. I saw a trailer for don't. Little Italy. I thought about getting up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Hellfest is um, the type of movie that if it came out in 1988, people would want a Scream Factory Collector's Edition of. Yes. It's really well made, I think, from a directed standpoint. I think it's... Um, it, it's the acting is unbearable almost. So we watched it last night. Yeah. Erica and I watched it last night. We had to buy it on VOD. Oh, <laughs> so you're, I now you're own a digital copy of Hell <laughs> digital copy of Hellfest. No copy sounds great. Um, for it was reminding me a lot of the Funhouse. Mm-hmm. And so once again I was having first man syndrome where I was like, I'd like to be watching the Funhouse. <laughs> oh, yeah. sure. Um I agree with you that it's super well directed. It wasn't until about a third of the way through that I was like, oh, now I remember everyone talked about how awful the characters were. Yeah. They were right. Yeah. <laughs> These are people I don't want to spend time with. Yeah, exactly. Um, every time I rewatch it, I, like, I, I think I've stopped watching it three or four times while I'm watching it. So it's my number 10 movie of the year. <laughs> but um, it's because the characters are awful. But once you get past that first act, I think that the staging and... Yeah. The atmosphere of this carnival is is so much fun and entertaining in a slasher horror way that I liked it. And also I saw it a couple times in theaters and it was right around the time I saw Haunters, The Art of the Scare. Mm-hmm. And like just kind of I was in that mood at the yeah. time. So I think a favorites list should represent the movies you've had crushes on at mm-hmm. certain points mm-hmm. in the year. So mm-hmm. I definitely had that with Hellfest. Mm-hmm. So that is part of the reason why it's my number 10. And then Little Italy is like... <laughs> Only for me. Um, it's ridiculous. It taps into my dinner theater, my Big Fat Greek Wedding gene. It is, if Pulp Fiction were Moonstruck, this is Smoke and Aces. Okay. So, All like, right. All right. Um, I the best objective thing I could say about it is I think that Hayden Christensen and Emma Roberts are a cute couple together. And they're very appealing. And the movie's incredibly dated. But if you know what you're in for, it's... Um, they don't play down to the material. Everybody knows what it is, and they are having fun. All right. So I like it a lot, personally. I'm sure 99% of the people listening to this will not like it, though. And I think that's the highest praise for a number 10 pick. I stopped watching it two or three times. <laughs> that should be on the fucking DVD box. Yeah. Adam Risky, F this movie. It's a commentary. It's like, this is where I stop watching it, usually. <laughs> Uh, my number 10 choice was difficult because I went back and forth because I went to see this and I loved it. And then I started thinking about it. And I wondered, do you love it? And then something happened in September that made me love it again. And then I went back and I thought about it some more. And then I watched it again and I decided, yeah, I do love it because what it does, it does very well. Okay. Although I recognize that something it does turn people off big time i can't even follow this anymore no (laughs) we should stop having these elaborate introductions (laughs) to saying the film we should just say the film the film is is boots riley sorry to bother you which uh just i was gobsmacked by the first time i saw it because it's higher on my list okay we will talk about it later yeah in september 
I got to tour the ADI special effects studio, and I didn't know this ahead of time, but we turned a corner, and probably the only special effect in the movie was sitting on the table. And I said to Alec Guinness, uh, Alec Gillis, you guys did the special effects for that? And he said, yeah, I love low-budget movies because they can't afford CGI, so they'll spring for practical effects. Mm -hmm. And when I saw the movie, I thought it was CGI, but it's not. It's a thing yeah, that know, I, they... I could tell it was practical. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if you go back and read my column about my magical Monster Palooza weekend, you'll read about it, and there's a picture of what I'm talking about. I like that bit. It reminded me of Station from Bill and Ted's. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, it is, it's higher on my list. Um, you have excellent taste. Thanks. My number 10 is The Sisters Brothers... Uh, directed by Jacques Odiard. Um, and I will fully admit, I'm not positive this is a great movie. It's on my list because I really like the cast, which is John C. Riley, Joaquin Phoenix, Jake Gyllenhaal, and Riz Ahmed. And if you put those four people in a movie, and then you make that movie a Western that is gorgeous, um, it'll probably appear on my list somewhere. So it was just a movie that I... I do think it's a really good movie and I think it's really interesting in terms of what it's about. And there are themes that are going to come up again and again on my list this year because without getting too deep into it, you two kind of have some background for me this year. I'm fascinated by how many of my movies are about violence uh, or death or violent death. Um, Almost all of them are dealing with that in some way. And the Sisters Brothers, in a lot of ways, is uh, and also looking at capitalism in a really, really interesting way. There is a scene that is this amazing metaphor for capitalism. Um, but yeah, it's beautiful. It's quirky. It has a really lovely last scene. And uh, I really like it. I remember when the trailer came out and I was amazed and impressed because a the trailer made it look great the trailer made it look oh this is a major studio release yeah that they spent money on and it's a western and i was looking forward to see it and it was in theaters for a week yeah yeah so i haven't seen it yet i haven't either i had the same thing where i i wanted to see it but then it was like showing at 10 40 at night on a tuesday <laughs> yeah, and i'm just like okay. cut it down to one sc- I, came, I love when they cut it down to one screening a day yeah. i came very close there was a day where i could have gone and i was going to go and i talked myself out of it and i wish i wouldn't have because i ended up watching it as a screener and not on a big screen and i think mm-hmm. it's a movie that would benefit from being on the big screen is it kind of like slow west in any way um, like in terms of a quirkier maybe Western? a little bit okay. yeah yeah okay. Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal makes some specific choices that are interesting. <laughs> uh, like Okja specific? Uh, I haven't seen Okja. You're fine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's not on my list. Uh, that's my number 10, and it's yeah. like, it's a Western. I like these actors. Number 10. Stephen Colbert just re-ran this thing that he did, this really elaborate opening where he's Ebenezer Scrooge waking up on Christmas morning, and Jake Gyllenhaal plays the little kid nice and points out that he's not a little kid he's 37 but uh, <laughs> Gyllenhaal was really funny in it he's really great mm-hmm. you know he's he's just great um yeah. all right so we're at uh, number nine number nine is Tully yeah just me okay Would, um, it, uh, it's one of my honorable mentions okay cool I'll take the it's right on my honorable mention list as well um so this was a movie that I 
uh, was really moved by in a way that I wasn't expecting. Um, but the thing that I like about it is I was talking to Jan and Erica about it a week ago. And we all seem to kind of pick out different things about mm-hmm. what we liked about it the most. So I like that people are seeing different things in it. It really resonated with me in terms of the going back to your younger self to find elements of comfort and also kind of how that can be, a, that nostalgia can be kind of a hindrance mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. So I like that dynamic. Um, more than anything, though, it I'm just so happy that Reitman and Cody are collaborating still. And Diablo Cody is, she's there's no like... She's got a lot of depth to her. There's a lot. Mm -hmm. Every movie that she's writing is different, and she's just such a good screenwriter. Mm -hmm. And I don't think she gets enough credit for it because, um, you know, Juno was was a big hit, but then Young Adult and Tully, and pretty much just like the trajectory of Jason Reitman's career has gotten quieter and quieter. Mm -hmm. And these are really good movies. And um, there's certain scenes in Tully that just really knock me out just with like a line of dialogue, like the scene where Mackenzie Davis and Charlie Theron are outside and they're talking and then um, they're using an, a metaphor about a carousel and how Charlie's Theron went <laughs> from horse to horse. And then she said, well, what horse is Ron Livingston? And she's like, he's the bench. Mm-hmm. And that's such a great line yep. because it says so much about why she likes him and, or why she loves him and who he is and everything like that. So. Just even how she feels about the choice that she made. Yes. Yeah. It's um, a really, a really sweet movie, a surprising movie um, that I, I would definitely recommend to people who haven't seen it. I too love Tully and was very impressed by the fact that the studio didn't ruin it mm-hmm. because in another universe, I can imagine a trailer that, Maybe doesn't give it all away, but gives nine-tenths of it away. Yeah. And maybe it was just because I saw it so early in its run, I felt that it wasn't spoiled for me, that the the trailer gave away very little, and I was actually allowed to enjoy it without preconceived notions. I just saw it a week ago, and it still hadn't been spoiled for me. So, And that's you know partially because it wasn't talked about very much. Um there's a scene in the movie, and this isn't one of like the most profound things, but I feel like I had not seen it done before where they're showing the passage of time as they're driving into the city. Mm-hmm. And the way they do it is by they keep cutting to new songs on Cyndi Lauper's greatest hits. Yeah. And I thought that was such an interesting way to track time mm-hmm. because – right. You, you end up, I, I was so hoping that by the end they were back at the first song again because mm. that happens all the time when you're listening <laughs> to music in your car. You're like, oh, we're back at the first song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but also that's a killer album. Cindy Lauper's greatest hits is amazing. It's one of those things that you kind of sleep on and then you realize it's yeah. like, wow, Billy Idol did have yeah. a lot of hits. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I thought that was a cool, such well, a cool right. way to yeah. show that the passage of time. It was clever and yeah. it hasn't been done. Right. But my number nine film uh, is very personal, but um, – it's Mary Poppins Returns, which I just thought was delightful. If it's it's higher on my list, and that makes me very happy. Yeah. Um, driving here, I was thinking though that Disney's making all this money by taking cartoons and CGI animated films and making them into live action CGI films. Right. And <laughs> someone pointed out to them that Mary Poppins was live action, so. They had to do a they had to do a sequel, and that was the only thing that that made them do a sequel. We'll talk about it when we, when we get to it on your list. I just heard this morning I was listening to a podcast talking about some of the highest grossing movies of the year. That Black Panther made seven hundred million 
domestic. Mm-hmm. Right, because worldwide yeah. it's topped a billion. Infinity War made like six seventy eight mm-hmm. domestic. Incredibles made just over six. Okay. Mm-hmm. Those are all Disney. Like just yeah. there, that's yeah. like over two billion dollars. And next just year, for three movies, and by next one year, company. I mean this year because I'm still writing right, to right, right. 2018 on my checks. Yes, they've got the Avengers thing, right? Which everyone is going to go see because to wipe the the taste out of their mouth of Mr. Stark. I don't feel good. <laughs> and um, the next Star Wars film, which Disney oh, yeah. also owns. So yeah. maybe oh, and they got the Lion King and may- Dumbo and maybe, Aladdin from the mind of Tim Burton. Yeah. Well, wait a wait a minute. <laughs> Um, maybe we should just let Disney make all the movies. I thought it was weird that Dumbo wore all that eyeliner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, see one of those uh, YouTube parody trailers where Dumbo was equated with uh, Clockwork Orange. Right, yeah. Um, number nine is uh, could have been about three or four different movies. Basically anything in my honorable mentions could have gone. So did you let Adam pick? In my ninth, <laughs> no. Adam picked. I went with something that I just wanted to talk about in a movie I would like to shine a light on, and that is uh, Andrew Bajalski's Support the Girls, uh, which came out earlier this year, I guess, and is getting a little bit of attention because Regina Hall was getting some critics nominations and I think even won one of the critics awards. Um because she's a great actor who rarely gets a great part like this, um, and is it's the best she's ever been. It's just a really, you know, this was a hard year for so many people. 2018 was just kind of a bummer. And like I said, so many of my movies are just about violence and the cost of violence. And this isn't. This is just about a group of women trying to hold each other up and it, it you know it's it's about the staff at like a hooters restaurant basically it's not hooters i forget what it's called but um is it whammies or am i thinking something double else? whammies maybe yeah, like i think that. you're right yeah. um and it doesn't make fun of the restaurant it doesn't judge the women for working there it never has any kind of commentary on like oh they should be doing better or whatever um it's just very honest and very human and uh, I just really, really liked it. It's it's small, but that's okay. It's, I think, currently streaming on Hulu, if you have Hulu. Mm. I think it's very much worth seeing. And I've not always been the biggest Andrew Pujalski fan. but People have started to write about it at the end of the year. Okay. And it is making some people's 10 best list. Yep. It's a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks. Yeah. Yeah, you know. <laughs> No, little Italy. But, no, well, yeah. <laughs> so few movies. Yeah, on. yeah. Um, so we won't have to talk. We we don't have to wait long. Number eight for me was Mary Poppins Returns. Oh, so. I was going to say, when will I yeah. finally be able to talk <laughs> no, about it? So go ahead. You you start. Um, I For me, it was a really personal choice because Mary Poppins is the first movie I ever saw in my life oh, in a okay. movie theater. Okay. And I was way too young to be going. I'm sure my parents wanted to see it. And I was the last kid and they were sick of not doing things because of the kids. So they took me to see it. And I think I might have been three. Mm-hmm. Because all I remember is, I've told the story before too, all I remember is how it sounded. I had never heard anything. This was in a large, you know, what movie theaters used to be, the Hillside Movie Theater, which is now a church. Um interesting (laughs) that i had never heard anything that sounded like that and not just loud but 
the quality of the sound. And mm-hmm. I also remember Dick Van Dyke dancing mm-hmm. with the Penguins. And I think what they did with Mary Poppins Returns is very difficult. It's like reheating a souffle. It retains the flavor of the original, but it's his, it's its own thing. Mm-hmm. It has brand new songs that are very charming. It has a story that I really, really liked. We're trying to help these people get over grief, which is a worthy subject. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the performances were amazing, especially Emily Blunt, yeah. who's very funny and very arch, because sometimes people think, oh, Mary Poppins and Disney. But the whole joke is that Mary Poppins is sort of arch and sarcastic and above it all. Yeah. Um, She's kind of snooty, but like in a way that's approachable still. (laughs) There's a moment in Mary Poppins Returns when a bunch of lamplighters are doing this impossible task. They're combining their ladders to get up Big Ben. Mm -hmm. And we cut to Mary Poppins and she says, you'd think they'd never done this before. (laughs) I mean, and that's that's the essence of what makes Mary Poppins not frothy, ridiculous, disposable... She has a point of view. She's yeah. she's kind of arch. After I saw Mary Poppins Returns and I was kind of on this high on it, I it, like with Emily Blunt, I just was like, I want her to be my life coach. <laughs> Where it's just like, because the type of thing she would be like is like, Easy Mac isn't cooking, Adam. It's like that. Kind of, <laughs> it's like that kind of stuff. It's just, she's so adorable. And it's like such great casting and... um I I mean, like, I thought especially the first hour, like, the musical sequences with the bathtub and inside the bowl, especially, where it mixes, like, 60s animation style with live action, is just some of the best stuff I've seen in a theater all and year. I, I love when she tells yeah. the kids to mind the edge of the bowl. You don't want to fall off. They're in, They're either on the bowl or inside the bowl. This is a- Are we talking about a toilet? No, no, like it's a china a, bowl, a, a ceramic yeah. bowl. I, I knew we weren't a... talking about a toilet. Um, also, because That's it's the Rob Zombie version, <laughs> <laughs> but William Forsythe's <laughs> Mark Poppins. <laughs> Stay away from the bowl, or I will skull fuck you. <laughs> Spoonful of fucking sugar. That's a nice little dumper right there. <laughs> Three phrases that have never been in a Disney <laughs> film ever. Also, because it's ostensibly for children. We haven't seen Song of the South. I really appreciated the fact that all of the musical numbers are little lessons for kids. Mm-hmm. Um, in the bathtub, imagination is grand. Yeah. Uh, the cover is not the book. Mm-hmm. Don't make snap judgments. You may be wrong. And then the Meryl Streep number that maybe if something's wrong, you should take a break. And look at it from another point of view, which, you know, is a hallmark of To Kill a Mockingbird. And it's never hit you over the head. It's never preachy. It's just that these songs are little lessons. Um, And in the middle of the cover is not the book. The songs are by Mark Shaman, uh, who's really good at that. And uh, they had the surviving Sherman brother who wrote, the Sherman brothers wrote all the songs from the original Mary Poppins. Alan Sherman, got it he's hello mother hello father i'm talking about either robert or richard sherman was a consultant so he had some say in like what the song sounded like halfway through the cover is not the book there's a a verse that's very unlike the previous verses but that sounds a lot like hamilton and it's lynn manuel miranda doing that sort of pop rap and i wondered did he did they let him write that one mm-hmm. piece 
because you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. it's a little bit of Hamilton in the middle of Mary Poppins Returns, and it's very, very delightful, but mm-hmm. I, I keep wondering if they let him write that. Yeah, I, I saw it in the Dolby Digital As Cinema, or the Dolby Cinema, yeah. and I think like if you have the opportunity to see it that way, that's the way to see it. it it's something where... I felt like I was watching theater almost at some points because it's so immersive with the music and everything. Like the the best movies to see in that Dolby theater is anything where it's very music driven. I love seeing movies like that. And this was just, it took me by surprise because I was expecting to see it and kind of like it or maybe not like it because it's Rob Marshall. And I was like, I keep forgetting that it's Rob Marshall. And I was blown away. It's by far the best thing he's done since Chicago. So the only good thing he's done since Chicago. Yeah, because well, it was nine and Geisha and what else? Into the woods. Oof. Yeah, the only good thing since Chicago. Might be something else we're missing. Okay. But... Yeah. It's getting to the point where they're only let oh, pirates. Two... Oh, they only let two people direct musicals: Rob Marshall and Bill Condon. It, it's those two guys. Mm. Yeah, or sometimes like an Adam Shankman or somebody like a Kenny Ortega, somebody who shouldn't be. (laughs) I can't say enough about Um, Mary Poppins Returns. It's delightful. Kenny Ortega gets a pass. (laughs) It's just delightful. I haven't seen it yet. I think uh, we're going to try to go see it tomorrow, and I would love to go to the Dolby Theater, but we're bringing a family, and that may be cost prohibitive. Mm. Um, But I'm so happy to hear that like they didn't screw it up because – from the time it was announced through the, you know, I probably only saw one trailer, just even posters. I just was like, yeah, but why? This seems like a terrible idea. And uh, that they made it into not just a movie that isn't terrible, but is actively good and on both of your lists is they, very exciting. They, yeah. they pulled it off. But before we leave Mary Poppins Returns, I have to bring this up. The other day I was canoodling around in my car and listening to the Sirius Satellite Radio. And whoever does afternoons on the 60s channel mentioned that he took his family to see Mary Poppins Returns. It wasn't Flash Phelps. It's the other Cousin guy. Brucey? No, not Cousin <laughs> Brucey. I know Cousin Mary Poppins Returns? I've met Cousin Brucey oh, yeah. at Beetlefest. <laughs> um, <laughs> he went on and on about how much he hated it and how much his kids were bored by it. Oh. He thought it was overlong, mm-hmm. but then as he kept talking, it became more and more demented. His main objection was, ready? Yeah. They never sang uh, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> and then he admitted that he had never seen the original Mary Poppins. I haven't oh. either. But I will go in not expecting them to do the hits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is this part of the syndrome of them remaking all these films that he thought he was just going to get? I will say that like, I did. I walked out of Aquaman at one point just to stay sane and use the bathroom. <laughs> um, and as I was coming back... The theater next door was letting out. It was Mary Poppins. And I clocked it at exactly – it had started at noon. This was at exactly 2.30. So I was like, okay, two and a half hours, which to me does seem long for but a movie for children. There's now a lot of trailers. Sure. I believe Mary Poppins Returns is 2.10. But I'm just – the experience yeah. in general. I sure. was like, wow, two and a half hours. Okay. I, I so hope that you and your family like it. I got back from break uh, and went to work and I was like, hey, friend, did you see any movies over over our time off? And they're like, yeah, let's talk about Bird Box. I'm like, fuck you. I saw Mary Poppins return. I watched watched a real movie. I watched 10 minutes of Bird Box. I didn't know what Bird Box was. I watched 10 minutes and was like, I don't think I can handle this right now. So I turned it off. I just don't like that. Like, 
that's become the point of conversation. It's like, hey, did you see Bird Box? Well, it's like this TV movie with right, Sandra it's, Bullock. It's, it's, like, what, it's what I could watch at yeah, home, yeah. you know, for free. Free his quotation marks around. <laughs> D- Doug had a couple funny tweets about um, in memory of Doug on the <laughs> top ten podcast. Uh, Doug had some funny tweets about Bird Box. What are the uh, movies Doug might mention if he were here? Night school. I think Little Italy would have been one of his joke movies. <laughs> it probably totally would have been one of his been. joke movies. I could hear him. Puzzle yeah. is <laughs> underrated. Yeah. You guys have heard of Italy, right? Um, J Bones, uh, you're number eight. Jan saw Bird Box and she liked it. Okay. Okay. Sorry. We're on eight. You're eight. My number eight film is the documentary Three Identical Strangers, which I very much loved. Is it higher up on any? It is not honorable mention. And um, I had talked about this before on the podcast. I gave the filmmaker so much credit for having all this incredible material, and yet during the film, parsing it out in little pieces so that you're constantly, oh, my God. And then there's still two more oh, my gods down the road Mm -hmm. as they keep opening the box. Um, What the film suggests about... Nature versus nurture, um, about how we become the adults that we finally become, I thought was uh, earth shattering or shattering. It just, it literally blew my mind. Um, it's certainly one of the best documentaries of the year, and it's kind of amazing, if only in structure. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it made me. F- so devastated when i was watching it it's a great documentary but i really there's um i didn't know going into it that pretty much all the families involved with the adoption were jewish and like with family being such a major tenant of Mm -hmm. the jewish faith and just how the people behind the scenes manipulating this is were also jewish and how evil that is Mm -hmm. like it really hit me in the gut it's if i was making a list of best movies of the year it would certainly be on it it's really good and i forget yeah. what the movie is but just the other night my wife and i were watching something shitty on cable because we were just channel surfing and it was a movie from the time that the three of them became famous mm-hmm. and the main characters bopping down the street and then goes into a storefront and the three triplets are outside the storefront and sort of wave to her. It was desperately. Sick I was going to say they showed a clip yeah. from it in the in the documentary. Yeah. Okay, but it is in the documentary. But I believe we were watching desperately seeking Susan. No, we were watching something about Madonna, and they showed that oh, clip. Got it. And I'm like, if you weren't aware of this phenomenon, right? Yeah. When you were watching. Desperately seeking Susan today. What would you think that it's just this weird? That, oh, that's triplets. What, that's exactly what I thought because I yeah. watched Desperately Seeking Susan like five years ago. Or it was actually, um, I think we were doing like 1985 for F this movie okay. fest, and I was watching a bunch of 85s. Yeah. And then I was just like, oh, look at those cute triplet things. <laughs> right. But now, if <laughs> you've seen, like, oh. if you've seen Three Identical Strangers, <laughs> that that yeah. little scene takes sure. on a whole. Oh, yeah. That got dark. Yeah. Well, there's a guy. Uh, out in I think Santa Monica on Santa Monica Beach, he like rides around on roller skates and he plays this guitar. 
And uh, we saw him years ago when Erica and I were out there. He was riding around singing a song. We're like, oh, that's fascinating. And then I would watch stuff. Mm-hmm. I remember specifically Point of No Return with Bridget Fonda. Mm-hmm. Like, he's in that movie. And it's like, hey, that's that fucking guy. He's been so, in a couple movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Background color. I think he's yeah. in the Perry Farrell movie, too. Um, my eight is Revenge. Honorable mention. Okay. Honorable mention. Yeah. Uh, just fucking awesome. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh one of the few movies I actually got to see that played the Chicago Critics Festival at the at the Music Box this year. I I made the journey into and the city. I was with you. Yes, you at were. That screening, so I got to sit very close to Patrick and hear him during the film. Yes. Yeah, I mean it was it was fun. Yes. There were I I keep no. mentioning this. There were probably three different moments where I thought I might pass out. Um, one is her in the tree, one is her removing something, and then late in the film, and I forgot this, I rewatched it the other day with Erica, um, there's a character late in the film trying to retrieve a piece of glass that I forgot. (laughs) It's just, it's amazing to me. What did Erica think of it? She loved it. Really? Yeah, how can you not? Um, Because sometimes she doesn't have a strong stomach for things. No, and she, I, I warned her. Um, she did all right. She was trying to watch more than in the past and then was like, see, I'm watching. <laughs> like, uh, it was great. It's just, it's incredibly well directed and it's incredibly self assured. Yes. It's, it's very slick. Yes. Yeah. I thought it was, I thought it was great. The, the moment with the, where there's somebody's pushed off of something. Uh-huh. I was like, how did they even shoot that? Yeah. It's, it, yeah. It, like, it's, the best one of those I've ever seen in a movie. It's so shocking and yes. it feels like you just had that happen to you. Very, very well directed. I can't remember who the director is. Do you Coralie Far Fargeet, F A R G E A T. I don't know how to say yeah. her last name, but it's her first movie. Yeah. And, and Matilda Lutz is really good as the lead. Yes. She's terrific. Yeah. I also love, and this is both the script and the performances, how the three guys at the beginning mm-hmm. all wind up being horrible, but in three very yep. different ways. Yep. This is not cookie cutter villains. Mm-hmm. And again, you can unpack a lot of what the movie is saying about the rape revenge genre, about masculinity. I mean, there's lots of stuff we could talk about, but I also think you could just enjoy the movie as this insanely bloody revenge movie yeah. mm-hmm. because it is. I mean, there's a point, one of the final shots of the film is, and I don't want to spoil anything, the living room when all is said and done. And I, I laugh out loud both times because I'm just like, I love how over the top she went with this and because we saw it in a theater we can both attest boy does that film play to an audience yes it does um it's insanely bloody insanely satisfying i loved it all right so i'm up you're up seven seven uh, somehow little italy made it on there twice that's how good it is (laughs) it's not a half it's a one and a half (laughs) spots on my list now um my number seven is destination wedding Nice. Did you guys see that? Honorable mention for me. Okay. Did you I see it? I have not time? seen it yet. All right. So this is the type of movie where, like, remember 10 years ago or whatever when, like, the best exotic Marigold Hotel came out? Do I? And I'm just like, who? I, that's not for me at all. But now I'm like, are these movies for me now? Because Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder are doing, like, their own iteration of the best Marigold Hotel. But, um... Yeah, I just was stunned how much I like this movie. And I love that it's this celebration of these two actors. It's 
if you've had this residual affection for both of them over the past 25, 30 years, this is a movie that completely pays that off. You've mentioned it on, um, I think, the underrated show yeah. last week, that there's that great scene in the middle of the movie where there's just the two of them laying in bed and they're just complimenting each other. And it's great because outside of the text of the movie, you could sit there and think, you know, I really like this about him, or I really like mm-hmm. this about mm-hmm. her. And it makes you kind of just take a moment to to think about them as performers throughout their entire career. Another thing I really like about it is all the dialogue is like really arch, mm-hmm. but it's interesting how like Keanu Reeves is kind of like this laconic guy, but they give him like this Cary Grant dialogue. <laughs> so it's like this weird juxtaposition, but he's so funny in yeah. it. And then there's certain moments where... They just say something where it's like, you know, it's like nonstop quip, 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 quip. But then they say something that's like really thoughtful or interesting. Yeah. Like um, the one that really got me was um, uh, Winona Ryder is in the car with Keanu Reeves and she's describing like what her job is. And she's basically like somebody who goes after people who are prejudiced in, in jobs and stuff like that. So he's just like, oh, is reverse fascism what you dreamed for your career to be? And then she goes, I can't remember dreaming of anything. And I was just like, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> so there's little moments like that. Um, I, I just really enjoyed it. I've watched it three times this year and uh, I'll be going back to see it more times. I remember when the breakup came out, Mm -hmm. people talking about it as like, Oh, it's the anti romantic comedy. Mm -hmm. And in some ways it is in that it's neither funny or romantic. Um, But I wouldn't say this is the anti romantic comedy because it's not trying to deconstruct the romantic comedy, Mm -hmm. but it's definitely a romantic comedy for people who, are annoyed by most romantic comedies. Yeah. These two characters would hate romantic comedies mm-hmm. and yet they sort of find themselves in one and they're dark and sarcastic, but there is a lot of genuine stuff that, that sneaks in. And again, I give it a lot of credit because it could have easily just coasted on, Hey, these two actors you like, uh, remember, um, ah, shit, what's the movie? I don't think Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan have ever done it. Um, fool's gold, right? Yeah. Which, assumes your your residual affection for the teaming of Matthew McConaughey and Kate Hudson from How to Lose a Guy in 10 oh, Days yeah. a movie I didn't like so I'm not like oh I need to see these two reteam they're the they're the Tracy and Hepburn <laughs> of our era era um and it was it literally just was like here's these two actors you like together again in a movie that's pretty um and it's garbage and this movie could have been fool's gold yeah and it's not the yeah. breakup shows up on cable a lot and I always thought that would be a better movie if the entire movie were about Vince Vaughn's relationship with his brother, Vincent D'Onofrio. That that's, that part of the movie is really good. Are you saying Destination Wedding is like Best Marigold Hotel? I or? just mean that it's the type of like movie you'd see a trailer for at like Landmark Century. Right. It's like okay. you'd have to eat a Toblerone bar and drink a Stella Artois <laughs> while you're watching it. Like, because I saw, I saw Best Marigold in a theater. Where you have to like validate your parking. <laughs> like that's the type of movie I'm talking about. And I thought that movie was more of a marketing strategy than a movie. Yeah, it's a, it's no, a movie it, made for book clubs. Yeah, and then yeah. this year they finally were just like, well, fuck it. Book club. That's yeah. the movie. <laughs> like, yeah. No, I just, I just like that. Uh, we could uh, go. We could take the book club. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. They're talking about us. 
Oh, that's just like Sheila. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's totally the Miranda. Is there a Miranda? I don't know. <laughs> it's like, don't tell Sheila we're going to Panera after this. <laughs> <laughs> I can only handle so much of Sheila. <laughs> that's where they go to talk about Sheila. I really like that movie, and I'm excited to revisit it. I, you know, I feel a sense of relief now that we're d- not. N- yeah. I'm talking about Destination Wedding. Yeah. Now that we're doing this show, I feel less compelled to like watch stuff that might be on my top ten. Mm. Rewatch stuff to see where it places on my top ten. I'm yeah. like, my year is done now that this list is complete. So now mm. I can rewatch Destination Wedding and yeah. stuff I want to watch. Yeah, I locked my list on December 31st with the exception of number 10. Nice. And it was just for the express per- per- uh, reason of like, I have to move on. Yeah, like, exactly. I can't right. do this anymore. If it's not too late on yeah. the special edition DVD box of Book Club. Of this podcast. It should say, <laughs> I can only handle so much <laughs> Sheila Adam Risky at this movie. <laughs> I like it. She's a nightmare. She has so many bags with her. What is she doing? (laughs) And she brings them in the theater. Just leave those in your car. We know you've been shopping. Uh, My number seven film is Mandy, which I went into knowing nothing about, and it's higher up on Patrick's list, which makes me so happy because I thought, am I wrong about this? (laughs) Because it's, it's, it's plenty weird. But yeah. we'll talk about it in a bit. Yeah. Uh, my seven is A Star is Born. That's higher on my list. And we it's will, higher on my list We will well. come back to that movie. Yeah. Uh, my six is Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. Is that on any? Nope. Not surprised. I did not so, see it. So. Okay. So it, I, it could have made my honorable mention list. Yeah. If it um, were any good. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm no. joking, I'm joking. <laughs> I don't understand, and I, and, I, and, I, and I want you to speak of the film because it's on your list. Sure. I don't understand why it sort of got more accolades than the original. Because the original is shit. <laughs> no, it's not. Right. And when the original came <sighs> out, I was the only one screaming in the wilderness, this is really good. I know you hate it. I believe, if you want to use the search box, I wrote a whole column about the original. You did. Continue. I've never seen the original because this one gives me everything I could ever (laughs) want from this type of movie. Um, It just, the long and short of it is it's made me happier than any movie I saw all year. And um, I was expecting to maybe like it because I like a lot of the people in the movie. And then when I watched it, I just, it was me and like, 70 women that was it book club yeah and i just like after it was over i just wanted to lean over to like sheila we know you know the words to dancing queen (laughs) you have to be quiet this is a movie theater have you ever noticed every time sheila starts a sentence she sighs I just want okay. So when I saw at the end of Mama, Sheila brings a tuna sandwich to the movie. Oh, Sheila, Sheila, we've talked about this. It's like it just doesn't bother me that she brings her own water. It's just that she brings cups for everyone. (laughs) Sheila, you know there's movies we go to without you. Okay, so I yeah I um. I love the music in it. I got hooked on ABBA after this for like a month. I was just like really into ABBA music. And I I just really like its positivity and its sincerity. And it's definitely, this is what the movie is. Do you like it? Great. You're in for a good time. But if not, this isn't for you and that's okay. 
at some point you should check out the original. Yeah. Only because the original had first pick of the songs. Yeah. And so here we go again with one exception, because I think there's one song that's repeated, is sort of the B-list of mm-hmm. their hits. Yeah. And then um, we've talked about this before. I love that it's it knows like, okay, this can get real stale because it's this prequel thing. So why don't we just do the Godfather part two? Yeah. And like and that makes it so much more interesting just from a structural perspective. And I think that um, I've been a fan of Lily James for a, a couple of years. And I think this is like her star performance. I think it's the one where it's like, wow, she can sing too. Mm. And it's just, she's so, like just so beautiful and charismatic and she carries the movie. And I, it's one of those things where like I was just so into it by the end that like in the end credits they have this final song number and it's like the younger and older versions of the same yeah. characters and they like meet a, up like and like call. yeah it's like this curtain call thing and I was just like this is just lovely does the universe collapse in on itself when they meet up <laughs> I wish like the end of time cop I wish this also, movie, yeah, Mama Mia 3 needs Van Damme um <laughs> Andy Garcia is very charming in it. Yeah. And sort of coasts on his charm, but it was very nice to see uh, him sing. Yes. Yeah. Is he a good singer? Does he just kind of talk sing? He kind of talks sing. But it's, I don't know. It's, there's a few people in the movie who kind of talk sing. Like they, they definitely scaled back the number of lines sung by Pierce Brosnan. Well, um, he he just got <laughs> such a shit can. Yeah. Because in the first one, they gave him a major ABBA hit. And apparently, I'm the only one who likes his singing voice. I think he sounds like Roger Whitaker, the yeah. English folk singer. Then the last thing I'll say about it is there's like this one um, song number in the movie called <clears throat> Angel Eyes. And it kind of sums up why I like the movie so much. The choreography of the song is uh, Julie Waters and Christine Baranski and Amanda Seyfried are just kind of going around the resort singing this song, and they're walking past men who work there. And they're not all beautiful movie star people. And one of the lines is they say, look into his angel eyes, and Christine Baranski kind of like kind of frames a guy's face and he's just like a normal looking dude. And for some reason at that moment in my brain was I was like, okay, this place is like for everyone it's not just like let's celebrate being super beautiful and rich it's just no like we love being here we love everyone so it was like the field of dreams thing where it's like is this heaven it's like (laughs) no it's mama mia here we go again (laughs) so i i I just found this movie to be so charming and that's why it's my number six there's another movie that i think is going to appear higher on your list that is also a sequel that got talked about a lot and it made so many people happy and they loved it. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me of Mamma Mia too, because people didn't really talk about Mamma Mia just like they didn't really talk about the first movie. Yeah. But the second one seems to be the one that everybody is. I know the movie you're in love with. Yeah. 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 And again, I think part of that has to do with, uh, the year it's been and sort of where we are at as a society that like, Oh, this celebrates joy. I Mm -hmm. want to be part of this for two hours. And I think that accounts not, Clearly, it's a very, very well-made documentary, but there's a documentary that yeah, came yeah, yeah. out this year, yeah. and a lot of it's... Yes. I'll leave it at that. My number six is A Star is Born. Okay. That's higher on my list. All right. That's higher yeah. up on your list. Yeah. We're at my six. My six is uh, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. And that's higher up on my list. All right. Um, Back to you. That was wow. fast. Yeah. Crazy. Um, Ooh, it's just, it hey, just hey, swung hey. around. I don't <laughs> mind when our lists are the same, but, uh, you know. Yeah. 
I feel like all week we just talk about the same movies in a different order. For those of you listening, at the very end, we'll we'll read them. In oh order. yeah, yeah. How do you think I feel hanging out with Sheila all the time? <laughs> same Sheila, different dial. <laughs> Sheila got back from vacation. Now she's cured. Uh, but then a week later, she's just she signed. Came back with that one sentences. braid. Like we get it, <laughs> Sheila. It was warm where you went. So mm-hmm. now it's a whole Sheila thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my number five is searching. Okay. Okay. So, um, for whatever reason, these screen life movies really (laughs) resonate with me because I loved Unfriended. Um, And Searching is – it was cool to see it in a thriller slash mystery to see that. I I like that the director, like, really put in a lot of time to kind of meticulously design – um, all of the screens that kind of like informed the different story beats. I, I like that a lot. Um, I thought John Cho was terrific in the mm-hmm. movie. Um, I thought the, re- the relationship between him and his daughter was a lot more emotional than I was expecting. Cause I was mm-hmm. expecting this movie to be kind of more, um, pulpy, I guess. Sure. But I, uh, I think the opening sequence is like a live action version of up oh, almost for sure. like I that place the is, opening uh, Oof. I, that 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 Jesus. whole sequence is <laughs> that would have been on my feel- favorite moments list if i yeah. hadn't apparently blocked it out no it's really great filmmaking um but yeah i i saw it a couple of times like in two weeks in uh in theaters and i just thought it was by far one of the best movie maybe the best movie i saw all summer and I think that it, was your pick when we did the summer show. Yeah, that, that was and it's, your number one of the summer. Yeah, and it stuck with me after uh, revisiting it last month. I, I like it a lot. It's very well done. It's interesting that you know we're getting that kind of storytelling, and I've seen it done poorly mm-hmm. in a couple movies. And like, I think this yeah. movie. Okay. I won't mention the movie. Yeah, <laughs> I do I it poorly, did, but I, um, <clears throat> uh, I think this is the best I've seen. You mm-hmm. know, of that type of story, and it's certainly using a visual language that yeah i can't believe we're speaking now but I was, <laughs> here we are I, I was i was happy also that they didn't go the easiest route which is like the internet is scary and awful and right this is the moral but it's you know this is a tool to tell a story that would have been the movie searching for man women and children <laughs> <laughs> i think um I saw that in the theater. Disconnect? Was that the other one? That, oh, yeah. Oh, the internet is scary. I, I yeah. actually went to see that. Yeah. Um, Searching came out, and unfortunately, uh, to my shame, I haven't seen it yet, but it came out, and then slowly, very slowly, I thought, people I trust on the internet mm-hmm. um, were seeing it and tweeting about it, and every single person loved it. Yeah. Everything I read on social media was, this is something special, you need to go. The only thing I didn't really love about it was the one of the characters. It I'll just say it feels a little ransomy. I guess like I wasn't really with the antagonist. I wasn't Mel Gibson is with in it. the movie. Is what he's saying. Um, <laughs> I wasn't thrilled with it, but it wasn't enough to take away. From I it. yeah, uh, like a lot of mysteries. Um, that yeah. that's my I guess big criticism of the movie is like a lot of mysteries. I don't think the resolution is especially satisfying. Yeah. There, although I, I mean, I give it credit for keeping me kind of wondering what's happening. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is an effective thriller in yeah. that every so often you're like, "Oh, is it going to be this?" And there's a moment I don't want to spoil anything. It involves the brother. Where I was like, mm-hmm. "Are they really going here?" Because that's dark. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. It's and good. did they go there? And was it dark? It was a red herring. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. I wasn't going to say because then when you're watching it, you'll know that they don't. And Spoiler then, alert. For yeah. What I, what I meant by red herring was what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know what that phrase means. So we're at five. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, I am old and cranky. And I love horror films, but I have a very dim view of most modern horror films. I do not like them as much as you two. Um, I do not like Green Eggs and Ham. I do not like them, Sam I Am. But this year, Since Hereditary when? came out. And it's higher up on Patrick's <laughs> list, which makes me so happy because that movie does so many things so well. And we will discuss it in a bit. Uh, my number five, J-Bones, was on your list lower and that is uh, Sorry to Bother You. So let's talk about Sorry to Bother You. Let's do the it. The twist, which I will not spoil, no. really bothered some people because they thought, I thought it was A, and then suddenly uh, an hour in it becomes B. But I think it's been B all along because as I watched it, and I have to bring to bear my experience being an English teacher for way too long, the satire that the filmmaker is engaging in is Swiftian. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of you might know mm-hmm. Jonathan Swift. Mm-hmm. He wrote A Modest Proposal, which is still, let me tell you, when you assign that to kids, it still spins their head around the wrong way. They come back the next day in class and, I can't believe you assigned that. <laughs> Was he serious? Um, it still has the power to shock. And I think that's what the filmmaker was trying to do. Um it's clever, but not in a ha-ha movie way. Mm-hmm. Um, Tessa Thompson is in it and playing a character a little bit different than the standard Tessa Thompson character. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought the point it made about what rich people in this country would do if given half a chance yeah. maybe could have been even meaner. Yeah. Because what the film is suggesting is pretty fucked up. Yeah. Um, it's so great. And when I think back on it, and I think, didn't that come out this summer? Yep. Yeah. It's been a while it's every a while. time. <laughs> what? I said, it's been a while. Every time I think back to it, it rises in my estimation. Yeah, it's really, really good and really exciting in a way that not a lot of other movies on my list are. There's certainly plenty of movies that I liked a lot. Some I liked even more, but I don't think they excited me as much as that one because it was just willing to go crazy places and in its filmmaking it takes a lot of chances it has an energy that is completely different than anything else i saw this year um it's really funny i love the trope of uh, our protagonist is living in his uncle's garage uh, which is not ideal but he's he's he doesn't have a job that pays very much and so um they they show that when you're living in someone's garage, you're at the mercy of someone opening the garage door right. yeah. and exposing your yeah. entire apartment to the outside world. Just little things like that. I liked uh, that. This, and this might this doesn't this isn't like a taking a shot at the movie. It's saying it in a nice way. It reminded me of like a really great Mad TV sketch, <laughs> but it was enough to sustain an entire feature. Mm-hmm. I really I really liked it. And the night that I saw it, I there's a theater. It's behind a Mexican restaurant. It's in Vernon Hills, Illinois. Do you know what it is? Which one I'm talking about? It's across the street from River Tree Court by Hawthorne. It was called the Showplace 8. Anyways, so I saw it there. And 
I walked out of the movie. It was me and like one other person in the theater. It was I went right after work, and the guy who worked there said, "That's the last movie we're showing at this theater," oh and it gosh. closed the next day. Oh my god! <laughs> and I was like, um, "This movie will be special for yeah. for yeah. forever because of that." It was and kind that of just crazy. Shows the wisdom yeah. of the famous saying that satire doesn't play in Vernon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's it's. I mean, the satire is really sharp and also at times very broad. Like, I it, it it's not a movie that's particularly pleased with itself it's again just very confident another Mm first-time filmmaker who knows exactly the movie he's making Mm -hmm. and it's also very clever and trenchant in suggesting that the way that good-natured people are co-opted into the system by offering them just a little bit more than those regular slobs have and how great that is and how much power that makes you feel and again just white guy voice which was delightful because it's Patton oswalt and david cross yeah. like you it's enough of a leap that you know another movie i think would have just rested on that and this movie is willing to go to so many other crazy places again nothing was spoiled for me so many other crazy places. i didn't really even know what the movie was totally about by the time i saw it i will say that it has been very casually spoiled elsewhere on our site so be careful <laughs> when you're reading about it but uh did i do that no i'm sorry it's okay um it's terrific in the theater where i saw it there was a vocal physical reaction to the big twist and I believe someone shouted out, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Which yeah. I was like, Boots Riley would be so proud That's if he was in the theater reaction, right now. an accurate reaction, yeah. yeah. I also because just like, when's the last time, I don't mean to interrupt oh, no, when's the last time a film took a turn that you couldn't see? Right. That doesn't happen, well, maybe because we see so many movies, but that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. yeah. I was just going to say, like, I also really like seeing just all the weird chances that Lakeith Stanfield's taking mm-hmm. with his career because mm-hmm. he started in short term 12. That was the first time I noticed him in anything. And this is so different yeah, to that. Sure. So like, he's got a lot of range and he's picks exciting movies. Yeah. 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 Um, that movie almost more than any other movie, I think made me excited about movies mm-hmm. this year. Yep. Uh, Adam, you're four. Uh, my four is Suspiria. That made my uh, honorable mentions. Okay. Um, so this one, I I don't know. I think I liked it maybe as much as I did because I think the Argento one is good, but it never like clicks with me completely. I, I admire it more than it resonates with me. Um, but this one kind of felt more like The Shining in terms of mood and pacing. And it was very slow and just kind of foreboding. Um, I found it really interesting. Just the whole, the whole set design just feels sickly, and then it's um, mm-hmm. the, and it just kind of wears on you. And I was trying to place uh, a lot of the criticism of the movie was in the background. They have like this um, global conflict happening. Yeah. What what was it? The Meyer Burn um, Bader Meinhof. Ba- thank you. The Bader Meinhof thing. Reports and TV reports. Ruth Bader Meinhof. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So I was trying to like figure out what did he mean by that and my and maybe i'm just 2018 it too much but (laughs) i think like what the thing that they're trying to do is that it's just this pervasive thing that's just in the background as a soundtrack so it's like completely weighing down anybody 
in the world who's listening. So it's kind of like what's going on now, which is like I go to work and they have CNN on the TVs all the time. And it's just like oh, you Jesus. can't help but feel just weighted down all the time. So like you have your own individual story or life that's going on, but then you've got that as kind of the background noise. Um, I, I thought the climax of this movie is like... <laughs> I couldn't believe I was watching what I was watching. Like, I felt like I was watching, like, The Woman or something mm-hmm. like that, where it's just completely off the rails mm-hmm. in an exciting way. Mm-hmm. I thought the music by Tom York was really um, effective in terms of kind of like this sad um, kind of resignation that mm-hmm. it has to it. Um, and I don't know. I, I was, again, just sort of surprised by how much it, it, it worked for me because. You know, I like Suspiria, and I thought, like, Call Me By Your Name was good, but I haven't, like, loved anything mm-hmm. from Luca Guadagnino yet, but this one just, like, really hit me hard, and I'm looking forward to seeing it again. I gave it so much credit for being its own thing. For and sure. not trying yeah. to be a, yeah. an Argento copy. Um, Olga Dance to Death is one of the great sequences of the year. Yeah. Um, like you, I was totally... Um, impressed by the ending which goes there and also I don't even know if you'd call it a twist but the film keeps its cards to itself Mm -hmm. about what's really going on with a major character and I was surprised by it Mm -hmm. I was duped like many of the characters in in the film into thinking that one of the characters was like this Mm -hmm. and it turns out no that's not true at all and I gave the filmmakers and that actor or actress a lot of credit for not tipping that off um it was amazing and by the time i could see it and i desperately wanted to see it in a movie theater i had to go to one of those theaters where you eat Mm. (laughs) this is not a good film no for a movie theater meal (laughs) it's like olga's dancing to their death and then a waiter's like can i drop the check off with Mm -hmm. you here it's like no olga's dancing to her death (laughs) Olga's being danced to death. Here's your burger flight. Yeah. <laughs> it's three it's three mini burgers like like a like a wine flight only with carbs. I'm going to enjoy these because Olga can't. <laughs> One thing I know, this movie is not for Sheila. Uh, no. Oh, Sheila she's... would not enjoy this movie. Mm-mm. She would have problems with it. <laughs> so where are we? Ten, nine, uh, eight, four. seven, six, five, four. Uh, my number four movie might have been the best time I had watching a movie this year, besides Mary Poppins Returns. And what everyone you know has been saying about it is true. Paddington Two is so effing delightful, and it's higher up on your list. Yes. All right. Uh, my number four, I'm thinking, is not on anyone's list because I think it would have come up already. If I'm doing my math correctly, and that is First Reformed. No. Okay. J-Bones, I know you were not a huge fan of it. In retrospect, yeah. and I think I said this that night yeah. or the day after, I give it so much credit for what it's trying to do. Mm-hmm. It's a serious film about serious issues like faith. Um, it's glacial pace got to me. Okay. Um, but I recognize it's a serious film about things that we should talk about more often. And again, I will admit that I 
walked out. I did the Adam Risky uh, about <laughs> halfway through the first time, and not because I wasn't liking it, but because it was touching me in certain ways. And I was like, I don't think I can handle this right now. And I left, and so I caught up with it again later on, and and finally made it through the whole thing, knowing what to expect. And um, I think, uh, first of all, the filmmaking is incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, I mean, I read a little bit about it, and Paul Schrader was, you know, trying to kind of make his Ozu movie uh, until it isn't, until it goes psychedelic and insane. Um, I thought the performances were great. I thought the dialogue was always interesting. So the Mm -hmm. pacing never bothered me because I thought the dialogue, the conversations that were being had were so interesting. And Ethan Hawke's performance should be enough to get you through. His voiceover. Again, I know you had said, you know, it's kind of like Taxi Driver. And there are many similarities to Taxi Driver, including him sort of narrating the whole thing. Um, but yeah, the things that it's trying to cover, just faith and capitalism and the environment and I I mean, an individual's responsibility to the larger world. It's dealing with so much, I think in such an interesting way. And again, like a handful of other movies on this list, including, sorry to bother you, including movies that are coming up, um, I think takes big chances at a certain point and that's exciting when movies do that because again we see enough movies that we sit down essentially knowing what to expect and um i just i thought you know it's been a long time since paul schrader made something that knocked me out i really like autofocus but even that i wouldn't say knocked me out the way this Mm -hmm. movie did the other day on buzzer this channel (laughs) devoted to game shows from the 70s I was watching a rerun of Password, and one of the contestants was Bob Crane. Mm. And for a half an hour, I was like trying to work out the chronology of just <laughs> where in his downfall he was yeah. when he made this thing. And I'm cringing, and it's a very entertaining spectacle. And I'm he made some sort of semi-off-color jokes, and I was like, why didn't we see it? <laughs> it was so obvious now that you know the truth. I I uh there's two things I really liked about First Reformed. One of them was that it's kind of in league with uh Last Temptation of Christ and Silence where it's these movies that take religion from a humanistic mm-hmm. approach. Mm-hmm. And I think that I'm so uninterested in like pious religious mm-hmm. movies, but when it's how do we kind of rationalize it with human needs and wants mm-hmm. and and everything and morality like that, that I find that fascinating. And then also I noticed that the Ethan Hawke character, he was, whether it's, um, you know, he grew up in a family of military men or he, I think like his, weren't some of the other men in his family like chaplains or, or also involved in organized religion? I don't remember that. I think there was that. And then there was also, you know, the young man that he kind of like takes up his cause mm-hmm. and everything like that. It's like he's bearing the weight of the world, but none of this is like his own personal choice. Mm-hmm. It's like he's choosing to do it all for himself. Mm-hmm. And I found that really interesting because how how honest is that? Like a lot of times, like our kind of existential dread is not of our own life. It's of so many other people's yeah. lives. And I thought it was really subtly done. I also love the dichotomy between his position, which is of this tourist church that exists because right. it's historic, yeah, right. and the other yeah. priest who's actually yeah. running sort of... And again, all that stuff, I thought the business of yeah, the church really I thought was yeah. so interesting. And there's a scene at a diner 
where there's a big, I guess he's a donor. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where he and Cedric the Entertainer and this and Ethan Hawke have this conversation, and it's so good. Even the way the guy talks to the waitress, it's like it's so perfect. Mm-hmm. Really, really strong stuff. Uh, that's my four. First Reformed. Okay. Uh, three. We don't have to wait too long. Paddington 2. There it is. Go ahead. Um, I waited so long to see this, mm-hmm. and maybe because I hadn't seen the first one. I don't know. But there was this barrage of propaganda everywhere <laughs> you turn that almost like a religion, speaking of first yeah. reform, people would see it and they would feel compelled to proselytize about what fun it was. And I agree with Patrick. 2018 was a shitty year for all sorts of reasons. So imagine a film that suggests if you're just nice, it can have such an effect, mm-hmm. such a ripple effect. Yeah. Um, all the performances were amazing. Talk about um, a children's film addressing current issues in a not hit you over the head preachy way, but in a way that children can understand the one neighbor on the block mm-hmm. who's warning them about people coming from outside who mm-hmm. that Paddington is not one of us or something. Um, the musical number in the prison was delightful. Mm-hmm. Brendan Gleeson needs to be in more children's films. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I was talking last week that after Paddington, um, ruins the the prison uh, laundry with the one red yeah. sock the film just continues to show the prison uniforms as being pink which is delightful this film is a delight it's like a piece of candy yeah i i felt very much the same way the the supporting performances it's just so nice to see these people like these actors like sally hawkins mm-hmm. and jim broadbent and uh you know uh Hugh Grant and Hugh Grant Brendan Gleeson. Really they're just having the time of their lives. Yes. And it, that's so infectious to the rest of the movie. And then I love the design of it. It's this Grand Budapest Hotel mixed mm-hmm. with Babe Pig in the City thing. <laughs> and then some of the set pieces look like like Jacques Tati, mm-hmm. like physical mm-hmm. comedy or like Mr. Bean type mm-hmm. of things. And it's just such a good mixture. And then I thought, I just love that the crux of this movie, like the thing that sets this in motion is that Paddington wants to do this nice gesture for his Aunt Lucy. That's it. That's all it is. Yeah. And like, and then you get like the scene with Jim Broadbent, who can never stop saying popping book. He's just <laughs> like, oh, popping book. <laughs> it's just so great. A great big bushy beard. <laughs> yeah. And then the ending, it's this, it's a wonderful life moment. Very and definitely. It's, yeah. And it's beautiful, and it's like what you said. It's just, he's not making these grand sweeping gestures. It's just these little consistent moments of kindness to all these people, and they're telling him, they're like, no, that makes all the difference. If you're nice, things will work out. Usually when we say that a performance has the actor's love of performing, Mm -hmm. it's usually (laughs) self-indulgent, and the actor is having more fun than we are. But you grant... Mm -hmm is so um he's stylized different from everyone else in the film which is appropriate given yeah. the character he's playing but he's so funny yeah, yeah. and so and it's um, the right pitch too because nicole kidman i love her but like she was the villain in one i think she's too severe a little bit um you grant so skewers yeah. insufferable actors <laughs> in so many ways yeah. it's, it's very very funny and then an- another thing is just that sequence where they go inside the popping book. I'm not, I'm dull to visual effects. 
But when I saw that, I was just like, this is one of the most impressive things yeah. I've ever seen in a movie. Oh, it was wonderful. Just the way that they go right into it, it's like so damn good. And then I love, I'm an easy mark for movies like this where um, Paddington or like Babe or Casper, or Pinocchio or Fievel, it's like these well-meaning young people or young creatures that are just learning about how weird and confusing the world is and they're trying to navigate the way to behave but they're rubbing off on people in ways too that are positive and i just love that message in kids movies because so many kids movies are just visual noise now well and i was going to say that i'm sure we make this point every year when one of us brings up a children's film or when one of us likes a children's film is that it's like we want better for kids and so it's it's frustrating when you see something like Paddington 2 and you're like hey look what happens when people try mm-hmm. look and I recognize not every movie can be Paddington 2 I, it's something special but at least aspire to that and not Sherlock Gnomes or yeah. what you know like at least aspire to be Paddington 2 and the first time I saw the trailer for Sherlock Gnomes I thought it was a joke yeah yeah the the gnome falls in the bucket of water and then there's bubbles and it's poo poo pee pee. But Johnny did. Depp got a paycheck, so that's good. Yeah, Grindelwald. And shout out to Paul King who directed this because for whatever reason, every time I talk about it, even I seem to forget to mention. Yeah, like I have no idea who directed it. He, so. He's just this that came out. I know that they're supposed to be making a Paddington three, but he's oh, not nice. coming back for that. And that what kind of bums hell? me. Did up. he do the first but one? He did the first one. Too. He did. Okay, yeah. interesting. Yeah, a lot of really great English actors, and it's fun to see them even in small roles. They're I was like, best. well, any movie yeah. that has Jessica Hines from Space and Peter Capaldi from Doctor Who mm-hmm. like living on the same block is a movie <laughs> I'm probably going to enjoy. Yeah. Um, also, not to not to overextend our conversation with Paddington too, but there's a lot of very interesting things going on in the background that the filmmakers don't sort of, you know, draw to your attention. Mm-hmm. Um, the romance that Paddington yeah. unwittingly starts, a whole yeah, bunch of stuff like that, which is just nice yeah. because I think some modern filmmakers have forgotten that the background can be interesting too. Yeah, I like the little like quirks with the kids too, where it's like. It's like I want to run a newspaper, but no boys. Or it's like, or it's like I'm really into steam engines, but I'm not. Don't tell anybody I'm into steam engines. Yeah. And of course, that yeah. pays off later, yes. which right. I also appreciate yeah. Right. Yeah. from uh, uh, the construction of the screenplay. Yeah. We're on three, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. My number three film is Roma, which I yep. wish I had seen in a movie theater, yeah. but I didn't. Yeah. But I felt that my flat screen was up to the job it was certainly the best looking film of the year it is extraordinarily well photographed and i saw it long enough ago that i was able to then experience the roma backlash where apparently some people have a big problem with a upper class male making a film about the travails but that's it's like honoring her, though. It's like saying thank it's, you. I don't agree with the backlash. I, I, I this might agree. have been on the Slash film cast that somebody described it as Alfonso Cuaron coming to terms with his privilege, that that's part of what the movie is about. And I that agree completely, but I'm saying there is this This is why you echo. should not be on Twitter. Mm-hmm. You would um, not be aware of it, because I wasn't. Yeah. It's amazing to look at. Uh, my wife and I kept trying to figure out how they did the long sweeping 
um, uh, pans of people running in a city that no longer exists. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, because this guy made gravity, yeah. that there's some special effects work going on here that doesn't call attention to itself. Because the aesthetic of the movie is so 180 degrees the other direction from a special effects film. It's this sort of neorealist black and white. Mm-hmm. So we just assume that there are no visual effects, but I guarantee there's a ton of CG going because on. Because there's a lot of credits at the beginning of yeah, the film, yeah. and a lot of them are a special effects team. So maybe the person running on the sidewalk is real, but... That's one of the most artful recreations of something yeah. I've ever seen. Um, as Patrick pointed out last um, week and in one of his columns this week, there's a sequence at the end that involves the sea mm-hmm. where I've certainly tried to puzzle out how that was done because clearly in that sequence the children aren't CGI. I think we're looking at a situation where there's a lot going on behind the camera that we can't see and we have... Um, some child actors who are very comfortable in the water. I figured it out um, after I saw Aquaman. (laughs) (laughs) I thought, oh, he's probably right off camera. Just Oh. Yeah, he's uh, helping out. Aquaman. He's like, my man. I I thought you were bringing that up because when... uh, I thought the octopus was playing the drums with some (laughs) of his arms. When a character is saving the children... The octopus in that scene playing the drums just pulled me out of the <laughs> film. It just yeah. pulled me out of the film. Um, it's a serious film about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I'm struck by um, the maid's lover who has this extraordinary scene where he's performing mm-hmm. this battle ritual for her in a bedroom as a prelude to lovemaking, and he's totally nude. Okay. And that's striking. But then later, what the film does with that character really kind of shows us something much darker that's going on in terms of Mm -hmm. him being recruited for some nefarious political purposes. Um, It's just so extraordinary in so many ways. I I don't understand the backlash. I it 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 blew me away. Yeah, I, I really like It's one of my honorable mentions, too. Me um, too. M- mainly just because I saw it so late that I couldn't really like live with it for too long. But um, I really, the lead performance, I forgot what the woman's first name is, but Aparicio is her last name and non professional actor, and she's great. And um, I love that the story ends up kind of being like a love story, like in a platonic way between mm-hmm. two women. Mm-hmm. I love that. There's so much of it that's just kind of set up slowly, and it's just all these like gut punches and rugs being pulled out from under you in the second half. And um, the uh, uh, what's it reminded me a lot of like not to sound like an expert because I've only seen this one Fellini movie, but it reminded <laughs> me a lot of Amarcord, where mm. it's like it's set, it's this family, it's this guy kind of remembering. And it's over the point of recreate this certain time Mm -hmm. and these certain characters. Yeah. And it's over like the course of like nine months or a year. It's a lot like like Amarcord now. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's a really good movie. I do wish I saw it in theaters also. It's still coming up, right? For those of you listening to this on the podcast, um, I believe it opens January 9th at the music box and they're specifically saying how many screenings they're going to have. Oh, interesting. And I think they're only showing it 15 times. Okay. So, in 70 like, millimeter. 
Yes, in 70 millimeters. So if you'd like to see it in 70 millimeter, book a trip. Yeah. Sheila bought 12 tickets, but she didn't even ask anybody like what time they wanted to go. And now and, she's making a bigger fuffle about having to return. Some and of Sheila them. is much more comfortable about driving into that city <laughs> than I am. And the parking, woof. <laughs> All I'm saying is Sheila can pick me up in that car of hers. Oh, then we have to have NPR on. <laughs> Sheila has to talk over it about giving us all her opinions. Um, my number three was lower on my list, and then I rewatched it with Erica this week and uh, moved it up to number three. And that is You Were Never Really Here. That is in my honorable mentions and came this close to uh, making my top ten because it's an extraordinary film for a whole bunch of reasons. Yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah, like I said, a lot of the movies on my list are about <clears throat> violence and the consequences of violence and what it means to live a violent life, and this is the, certainly the best example of that. Um, I was very surprised to see this week, and I can't remember what article the comments were appearing under, but we started getting some comments about how the movie is empty or hollow, and I just don't agree at all that no, it is a hollow or empty movie. Um, I think one of the things they might be responding to is in the sequence when he first goes and saves the girl, you want to talk about the banality of evil, right? that it's this small, sad, little enterprise, and it's not presented like movie badness. It's presented how I'm guessing most real-life badness is in a very matter-of-fact creepy way maybe that's what they're responding to that it's not hollywood enough well and i recognize that the movie is spare and sort of simple in terms of what it's presenting as a series of events i don't think it's simple in terms of the subtext or the themes of what it's about i think it denies the viewer a lot of the things that we might watch him you look at something like revenge which is just about delivering 150 mm percent -hmm. like you want a revenge movie boy watch this um and this movie sort of denies you a lot of that even the acts of violence for the most part that he's committing happen either off screen or are obscured in some way by the you know the surveillance cameras. surveillance camera yeah and it it's a very popular hollywood trope especially in action movies of the guy that you shouldn't cross. And in most Hollywood films, we're supposed to identify, boy, I wish I was that much of a badass. Mm -hmm. But Joaquin Phoenix is playing what I feel is probably in real life yeah. the guy you shouldn't I cross. I said that to Erica. I said, I feel like if this person exists in the world, this is who he is. And that it's not particularly entertaining or something to be celebrated or something I... I, I want to be, but it's, I'm trying to think of the adjective. I mean, his performance is amazing. Yeah. He's not, and it's not like he's this Terminator guy. Right, he's exactly. This, he's like an overweight man with a big beard and stuff. A great and a, big bushy beard. A great beard. big bushy beard. <laughs> but he has a hammer and he's willing to do what you're not willing to do. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, like sec echoing what you said, I mean, I remember when I was watching this in the theater and I just kept thinking like, Jesus, like the whole, you know, reputation of great actors where we talk about all these actors where they're great actors. I'm just like, Joaquin Phoenix is 
unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Where did you see it in the theater? Uh, Regal, the Lincolnshire. Oh, wow. Yeah. But no, I, I thought it was a really good movie. I was surprised that it was... I was expecting it to be maybe like more arty in a way that was inaccessible. But okay. I found it to work as a genre movie too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's very beautifully shot. The score is by Johnny Greenwood, another mm-hmm. Radiohead alum, which I think is an amazing score. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a scene that's been mentioned a lot where Joaquin Phoenix is with kind of a bad guy um, as this song plays. And uh, that's not what moved me so much, but there's a, a shot near the end of that scene where the guy is dying, basically. He's been mortally wounded, and Joaquin Phoenix is asking him for information. And then the last shot of the scene is of Joaquin Phoenix holding the man's hand, which I just thought was this amazing gesture in terms of what the movie is about. Um, there's another moment near the end in a diner that shook me. Mm-hmm. a lot i think um, it shook a lot of people who saw the film yeah um i just think it's it's really really great i was i was very surprised to see it i mean it's, if it doesn't work for people it doesn't work for people but uh i think it's amazing that's Good. it that's my number three uh my number two is annihilation nice honorable mention for me okay uh, Honorable mention for me yeah i uh I saw it really early in the year and it was like that and Paddington too, where I was just like, if these are the January and February movies, yeah, this is right. going to be like 1999 all over again. <laughs> Boy, was it not. But, um, um, I was, I'll start by saying like, I was doing some reading about annihilation just in uh, like slash film did like this, uh, a lot of articles yesterday about like the best directed movies of oh, the okay. year and, um, best moments and things like that. And, um, Jacob Hall on slash film wrote that, uh, the whole thing with the climax of the movie where there's two of a certain character and they're mirroring one another. And he was talking about how that was just this great visual representation of depression. And he said it was like this dark foe that knows her every movement that takes her shape and blocks her path. And I'm just like, okay, so if you want to look at it on that level, it's totally effective and I completely get it. But I also think it works in like a body horror way, mm-hmm. a lot of ways, because I, I really resonated with it in the terms of your body's betraying you. Mm-hmm. It's actively betraying you. Like you can't help it. There's nothing you can do about it. And whether you just kind of give up and let into it or embrace it even in a way. Um, and that kind of the poking with a stick thing about horror, it's just like, there's this <laughs> shimmer and we know we're probably not supposed to go into it, but we're inexplicably drawn to it. And it's like the, and there, there's an, it's so honest in a weird kind of back of your brain way. Like I joke with you sometimes where I'm watching poltergeist and I see like the children being about to be sucked into the closet. I'm like, just let go <laughs> because it's like, what do you want to do? Like grow up and have a job? Like, <laughs> like, like, like there might be something fucking crazy down there. So, but, um, yeah, the, I'm it, so glad that poking with a stick is now yeah, associated with It's me. a meme. Yeah. Um, I love the design of the shimmer that it's like mm-hmm. alternately beautiful in some areas. And then there's like these horrific plaques, like all over the place that are just disgusting and revolting. And, um, it kind of still ties back into the body horror element. It's like, okay, there's like skin diseases and then there's like beauty marks and things like that. So it's like this own organism. I love that. And I I don't want to give anything away, but I love that the movie is mysterious Mm -hmm. and it's like, there's a line specifically where it's like, well, what does it want? 
And then Natalie Portman says, I don't know if it wants anything. And that's so much more satisfying and interesting than if there was any type of right. real explanation yeah. right. to it. So on top of all that, the movie's scary at times. It's um, almost as scary as anything. Very yeah, scary at that fucking bear. Yeah, the, it's the score is amazing. It's unsettling. The performances are are great. It reminded me a lot of those like really sober kind of like apocalyptic Japanese horror movies from the early two thousands, mm-hmm. like Cairo, where it's just like a death march, but you're just really drawn to it in a certain way. It's um. It's a movie that was like lower in my top ten list, and then I revisited it, and I was almost tempted to put it at number one. Oh wow, it's really great. I rewatched it this week because again, Erica wanted to see it, and was very moved by the score, which is not the typical score mm-hmm. for this kind of a movie, and the use of the Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young song, which oh. I think is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm still coming to terms with some of the. Special effects. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some CG in it that I just, it, I'm not, I'm not quite there yet. But yeah, the stuff with the bear, and and I'm not 100 percent positive I get the movie. Yeah, and that holds me at arm's length a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I haven't like done much digging on it. But it's impressive, and again, the kind of movie that you wish we got more of. It's the best movie starring Shimmer Portman. Uh, yeah, I mean, one of the two best. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like the fact that it was full of ideas. Very yes. much so. Because yeah. some movies have no ideas. Yeah. And again, like, I, I call it's attention to the... about and Watson again. I call attention to the bear over and over again. But, yeah. like, the scene where they're watching the video is one of the most disturbing scenes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Holy cow. Yeah. My number Your two. two, yeah. Uh, is a documentary called Won't You Be My Neighbor? Yeah. Yep. And if any of you would like to see the how a superior documentarian goes about his work, PBS, in an uncharacteristic move, obviously saw that this was coming out and getting a theatrical release. And a couple months before Won't You Be My Neighbor came out, PBS started showing their own documentary mm-hmm. about Mr. Rogers called You Are Special, narrated by Michael Keaton, who actually worked on the original mm-hmm. Mr. Yeah. Rogers show back when he was much younger. And um, they had access to a lot of the same clips, and the PBS thing is okay, but the documentary that came out in theaters is clearly superior because they're making a very interesting point, but they're going about it in a very um, artistically satisfying way. And certainly part of it is, again, that 2018 wasn't that great. And do you remember this one guy who was on TV mm-hmm. and he was always sort of trying to appeal to our better selves and he had this sort of personal narrative that he never wavered from that love was very important and we're going to be in a heap of trouble if we have a lot of kids who don't feel loved. Um, the choice of clips, the choice of talking head um, experts. Um, it's an amazing documentary. It had a couple of spots in it that I, it reminded me a bit of life itself a little bit with Roger Ebert mm-hmm. in the sense that this could have been like this total puff piece, but it's not. Um, it has interesting things to say. And I don't think that, I think it comes across with the message that he was better than a lot of us, but like, 
Fred Rogers wasn't a complete saint either. Like mm. he had, he made mistakes. Like the whole thing with the the actor who played mm-hmm. the mailman yeah. and stuff, where it's just like, yeah, he eventually did the right thing but like he was behind the curve or he he was even ahead of the curve in some ways like by comparison but like he wasn't completely right all the time right sure right and i like that the the movie said like you know you don't have to be a saint just be good and like make progress and be better as you grow older i like that and then um i also like that the movie really take us takes a look at like where his message is today that he's no longer here like how is his legacy carried on and you know his reaction after 9-11 where it was like i don't even know if i can do this anymore and basically kind of what it what i took out of it was it falls to is just like okay well it basically is the world is this big mess and we each just have to do our part to clean up what we can and I, know, I thought that was really moving. I know at the end that yeah. montage of clips from Fox News where suddenly the theme of the week was to blame Fred Rogers yeah. for young people feeling entitled because he dared to do a show that said, you're important and your feelings are important and I like you and it's important that you know that yeah. um, was sort of amazing. Also... The documentary, the theatrical one that I'm talking about, Won't You Be My Neighbor, touched upon something that the PBS one didn't, and I think it's something we tend to forget, because Fred Rogers is so big, he's this... When people think of Fred Rogers, they think of some very specific things, and the documentary pointed out that he would often do theme weeks, Mm -hmm. especially at the beginning of the show, Mm -hmm. and one of them was about grief, where he very specifically talked about what happens when someone you love dies. And I think that is not part of the common conception of Fred Rogers. Um, Or even the way he described divorce to the kids. mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like so honest and in a way that it still makes sense. It's like, it's not something where it it takes away some of the horror of it, I think for a kid. And it reminded me of one of the few scenes in Mrs. Doubtfire that I honestly love Yeah, that Mrs. Doubtfire doesn't go all Hollywood at the end. And the last thing is Robin Williams explaining divorce to his audience and explaining to kids that families take all sorts of Mm -hmm. um, forms and that it, it doesn't mean that your mother and father don't love you. Mm-hmm. They've decided that everyone will be happier if they don't live together. Yeah. But very mature and forward thinking. Yeah. And um, I don't think anyone in the audience I saw it with wasn't crying at some point in the film. Oh, yeah. And again, maybe part of that is just, oh, there was once this really nice yeah. guy yeah. who tried to make things better. And in 2018... That strikes at our heartstrings, and in some ways we didn't listen. Um, I was reminded of, um, and I'm sorry to bring him up because I know that his name is sullied by his actions. Uh, but uh, a guy who used to write about movies, Devin Faraci, once wrote a thing about. I think he contextualized it in Batman and talked about the different iterations of Batman and that eventually you kind of come back around to the 60s series because you grow up and you're like, well, I like what I like and this makes me happy. Um, That I think for some of us, I'm sure for me, it was easy when I was a teenager or something to take a cynical approach to Mr. Rogers. And the, the, the documentary talks about it a little bit. The, 
the sort of widespread assumption that he was homosexual or worse, a pedophile, because, well, gosh, how could anyone Mm -hmm. love children the way he loves children and not have it be this horrible, predatory, sexual thing, right? Um, Where you go through a period where you're just – you're too cool for Mr. Rogers. And I feel like as a country, we did that for a long time. And I can trace where that started. There was a famous National Lampoon sketch on record of Christopher Guest doing a Mr. Rogers impression. And basically, it's the template that every Mr. Rogers impression flowed from. But in the National Lampoon sketch, the joke was that Mr. Rogers was interviewing a bass player in a famous rock and roll band played by Bill Murray. And it was the dichotomy between Fred Rogers' worldview and this very experienced, sort of strung-out musician. But I think that's where that whole I'm hipper than this Mm -hmm. thing began. And if anything, Won't You Be My Neighbor sort of reminded us, now that we're older and maybe past that, that... Like you said, right. there was something really valuable there that maybe none of us valued enough when it was going on. Right. We've all grown up enough to finally be like, yeah, what he's saying is – and some of it, again, is is the events of the last couple of years mm-hmm. where it's just like, oh, we need this now more than ever. Yeah. I'm curious to see. I don't know anything about the movie except that it's being made and Tom Hanks is playing Mr. Rogers and I've seen a picture of Tom Hanks as Mr. Rogers, mm-hmm. but I'm – curious to see how much of that movie becomes almost unnecessary now that we have this documentary yeah it's like on the same thing i'm i'm looking forward to it because the director who did it did um can you ever forgive me and i like that movie so i'm interested in seeing her next movie will it be milk yeah to the times of Harvey right, Milk. Right, yeah, right, we're yeah, see. right. I just hope it's not, I, and I haven't seen the movie, but just by reputation, I hope it's not like the Marwin call to welcome the Marwin. <laughs> oh, so, another yeah. example. Yeah. Or uh, um, on the basis of sex. RBG. RBG. Yeah. RBG. Yeah. 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 Uh, my number two uh, came up earlier, and it is Mandy, which was, I think, my favorite sort of cinematic experience of the year. I did not have a chance to see it theatrically, which is a shame because this is a movie that begs to be seen theatrically. I would say at midnight, but I know I would probably fall asleep because it is slowly paced. For as wild and crazy as it is, it is very deliberately paced slowly. In the movie theater would be very loud. Yes. <laughs> um yeah, it's just, again, it's exciting when a filmmaker takes big chances and makes something crazy, and that's what this was. I, for years and years, was a big Nicolas Cage fan, and it's become harder in recent years to be a Nicolas Cage fan because of the kinds of movies that he has chosen to make to pay for his island. Um, but Mandy <laughs> reminded me, you know, uh, how great Nicolas Cage is, and you get a scene like his freak out in the bathroom. And the first time I saw it, you know, it's a crazy scene of him just like shouting and crying and drinking all in his underwear. And I thought, you know, the people who love Nicolas Cage, ironically are going to latch onto this as like, Oh, it's so crazy. Nicolas Cage, he's in his underwear and he's screaming. And I thought, fine, but I think they're not giving credit to what is actually happening in that scene. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Given what's just transpired, I'm watching it and I'm saying, that seems like a way that you'd react. Yeah. Yeah, it's 
and that's I think what draws me to the movie more than anything. I feel like more than anything on my list, that might be the movie I end up going back to the most because uh, not only is it just this crazy movie and it's very beautifully shot and the score by Johan Johansson is great and there's cool horror stuff where like Cenobites show up basically. Mm-hmm. and um, But I also think that there's – a really kind of beautiful love story and it's a very sad movie in a lot of ways the final moments of the movie are very haunting and sad to me um so i think there's an honest emotional center to the movie amidst all of the sort of D craziness that's going on in it someone on social media this week had a posting about how much she loved when the villain plays the Mandy character, his music mm-hmm. and what Andrea Reesborough's reaction is mm-hmm. to that music, just as a way to um, visualize um, a, a power struggle between well, it's, it's sort of amazing. And there's another amazing reaction where he whips his dick out and her yes. reaction to that. Something he says to Nicolas Cage in their final sequence, I think, is so oh, amazing. It's, it's because, the best joke of the year. Right. I might have spoiled this last week. I don't know. It's it's something um, because, again, it just exposes the big lie of the whole thing, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 I want to see it again because when I watched it, it was like. 12 or 1230 at night that's hard yeah it was it was (laughs) tough according to the music box that's the perfect time to watch it is and it isn't i was i was telling i think i was telling you like i watched it was like my vod night i watched destination wedding then mandy and then like i was fading in and out of consciousness watching did you feel you had dreamed Mandy? that's the thing like i felt some (laughs) of it was just like i was dreaming but it it is that kind of movie but yeah um but there's a lot and i this might sound like scaling it down too much but i it reminded me in a good way of like the crow in some ways and then just i was really struck by andrea riseborough's just like this character is just so doomed like you just know even before knowing what was going to happen to her she just looks like this character that's just built for tragedy to happen to her <laughs> and um and she's an actress who doesn't get a lot of credit no she's really good because different. she's different in yeah. every movie yeah, yeah um I like the Cheddar Goblin. I think it's pretty awesome. Yeah, how did that become a meme? <laughs> I mean, the internet threatens to ruin everything. Yeah. Someone certainly... said it's, it's in a funny... the movie for like 28 it's on seconds. The te- it's on it's the television commercial. when he gets back to oh, no, his no, no, place. No. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Someone yeah. pointed out yeah. how yeah. short that sequence is. The internet, a... the internet wants to ruin Mandy and it <laughs> definitely wants to ruin Cheddar Goblin. And that's fine. But yeah. speaking of when you said, you know, it feels like a movie I may have dreamed. Yeah. Cheddar Goblin is a great example yeah. of something that you 100% are like did I yeah I had this crazy dream where mm-hmm. like there's a commercial on TV for this mac and cheese and it was this goblin puking it up and it was called cheddar goblin like if I yeah. describe that to you guys tomorrow you'd be like yeah that sounds like a dream yeah. please stop telling me about your dreams well, and that's how annoying does, how does the advertising yeah. company feel that showing a demon vomiting their product mm-hmm. is a way to sell oh, that product. It's just um, when I saw Thriller 3D one of the hundred times that week, <laughs> um, I was at the AMC that we go to, and I it was like right before it was about to get dark, and I looked at the sky like off into the distance, and I'm like, it looks like a Mandy sky, and then I parked my car just to take a picture of it for yeah. myself, and I'm like, this movie struck a chord with me, apparently, because <laughs> like I really, just the visuals of it are just so, 
intoxicating and it makes yeah. you want to come back to it. Yeah. And it, you know, put Bill Duke in a movie. Like, Oh, yeah, that's right. He is yeah, in this. Great. Yeah, yeah. We have Dolph Lundgren on the big screen. We have Bill Duke showing up. Yeah. Like, Lundgren's all over the place. It's a good time to be alive. I yeah. know I didn't see Creed too, but yeah. he's a big part of it. I and thought the, yeah. the Bill Duke scene is sort of amazing yeah. for what it yeah. – it's not just this throwaway because the filmmakers are fans of him. The conversation he has with Nick Cage mm-hmm. is a really great example of concise dialogue yeah. that speaks – volumes beyond the words do you remember at flashback weekend how that one guy came up to us sort of randomly and was talking to us about how nicholas cage is tofu yes i thought that was interesting he had a kind of interesting point the point that i remember is when is the last time you ever saw a famous actor Mm -hmm. getting shit because he wants to act yeah i still remember that from this summer it was like i'll take that what i took from that too is um that he he said like it's not Nicolas Cage will give you everything. It's just are you a director basically who's worthy of that mm-hmm, gift? Mm-hmm. And I thought that was like really fascinating. I'm just like yeah. And then I start it sort of started it sort of opened the door for me to remember oh yeah Matchstick Men, Bring Out the Dead, mm-hmm. yeah. Moonstruck, like all these things where I'm just like God he's so good. He like wants he to should work. he should never get shit from anyone just because of, he's got like 15 classics. Yeah, when's the last time you did yeah. something at work that maybe you didn't really want to do? Right, right. It is a job. Yeah. And you don't have to see the movies yeah. that he makes. Right. No one's required. <laughs> like, I didn't, didn't want to see Mom and Dad. That's fine. I saw I Mom and Dad, but I don't want to see uh, yeah. Left Behind, you know? Oh, yeah. I'll skip yeah. Left Behind, yeah. but I'll see Mandy. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Everybody wins. Right. <laughs> anyway, that's my number two in another year. Probably could have easily been my one, but... Yeah. Uh, here we are. So happy that you. We're at one, so Adam. I think I have figured out what your one is. Yes, my one. And is I know on what your one your is. List. All right, by process of elimination. Yeah, I think I figured out yours. Yeah, um, I got them. I know yours already. Um, yeah, my one is a Star Is Born. Yeah, um, it was a movie that I. It didn't really kind of come to me that this was my number one movie of the year until the second time I watched it. Um, the first time I watched it, I. I really liked it. I thought it was very good. And then, like, the rest of the day, it just hit me more and more and more. And then um, I had listened, and then I bought the soundtrack, and I was listening to the soundtrack a lot. And the way that the soundtrack is structured is it's basically like listening to the movie again. Mm-hmm. So there's dialogue clips, and they even said, Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper said that the soundtrack's designed that way, so it feels like you're watching the movie again. Um, and then the second time I watched it, I was hanging on every sentence of the movie. And you know that's a, a great movie for you when you have that happen, where you're like sitting up and you're just noticing everything and you're hanging on every moment and line of dialogue and gesture and everything. Um, I am always bemoaning how they don't make grown-up movies for grown-ups anymore. This is very much a grown-up movie for grown-ups. I like that it's um, – it, the, they're playing archetypes, but it's so personal – that these people feel like very lived in. Um, I like Bradley Cooper, like juggles a lot of balls in this movie. He's a good singer. He's a good musician. The way he styles his direction, I find very interesting and not fussy, but like just, just a really like, I, I was watching an interview with Meryl Streep and she was describing, um, the problem with actors as directors normally, which is that they give too much coverage to actors. And I was thinking of like bad times at the El Royale. I'm like, well, that's a movie that gives too much coverage oh, to Lord. actors. And then I was thinking of a, and she was pointing to a star is born as an example of 
a director who knows how much space to give it an actor. And I'm just like, yes, that's exactly what it is. I love that he puts the camera over the shoulder of the, of the people most of the time. And that's, it gives you kind of an immediacy. Like you're in Mm -hmm. there in that moment with them. I love the way he shoots the concert footage. So Mm -hmm. you feel like you're on stage with them Mm -hmm. and you're kind of caught up in that exhilaration. The scenes like the concert scenes, especially the shallow moment or like the Levian Rose moment. I got chills. Mm -hmm. Like I was just sitting there like, this is what I come to movies for. There's also that moment. It's one of my wife's favorites where she shows up at the concert Mm-hmm. And we're following her. Yeah. And as she walks up that thing, it gets louder and louder. Mm-hmm. And we get to see, oh, this person's job is to do this. And here's your backstage pass. And there's this whole uh, bureaucracy built up around his stardom. Yeah. And once he says, let her in and bring her back. And without underlining it, without calling attention to itself, that's all we need to know about this. And the underlying thing is just how loud it gets the closer she gets to the yeah. center. And it's also the type of movie where I cared about the character so much that I'm like directing it in my head. Like, oh no, don't do this. <laughs> don't do that. Don't talk to this person. Where, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, right. where it's just... Um, and it's because you, you want happiness for the two of them. But, you know, if you've ever seen any version of A Star is Born... Which I know, never had. Yeah, I have, I've seen the James Mason, Judy Garland one. I have it on my DVR. Yeah. But I had never seen one. Yeah. So I thought I knew what it was. Mm-hmm. I think I thought it was more all about Eve. Okay. And I saw the trailer a lot of times. Yeah. And the trailer is actually my favorite movie of the year, <laughs> the trailer for A Star yeah. is Born. Yeah. Because I was like, I cannot see that movie fast enough. Um, and so I sat the whole movie thinking I was watching one thing and then it turned out I actually was watching something else. And that's a big part of why I have not been able to go back to it. Mm -hmm. Um, especially given sort of the timing of when I saw it and everything. Um, it's incredibly confident, Mm -hmm. incredibly confident. And I love, I mean, I just the opening scene, which I think is like one of the best, live music scenes I've ever seen. And the song isn't even like that memorable. It's yeah. not the shallows, you know, it's not a big set piece. It's just how the movie It'll opens. It'll grow on you if you listen to the album. Sure. Yeah. But I was like, it's really good. I, I remember it opening and being like, Oh fuck you, Bradley Cooper. <laughs> like yeah. Yeah. in a good way, because Bradley Cooper is a guy who I think a lot of us were like, whatever, he's Bradley Cooper. Like yeah. he's handsome and he makes these kinds of movies. And then slowly first with David O. Russell and then, you know, American Sniper is not a movie I like, mm-hmm. but boy, he's trying. Yeah. I just think he has, he really loves to act and he really is serious about it and he wants to get better. And he is sort of going to demand that we take him seriously. Yeah. And so not only is he going to direct this movie, but he's going to sing and he's going to play the guitar and he's going to swing the camera down so you can see that he's playing the guitar and not mm-hmm. faking it. And the confidence of the way that that scene played out, coupled with him singing and playing the guitar, I was like, fuck you, Bradley Cooper. And coming up with a voice that really works for the character Mm -hmm. but isn't a trick. I love what you said before about actors directing movies because I thought the dramatic scenes 
weren't self-indulgent, and yet they all had room to breathe. They're, yeah, they weren't rushed to get to whatever mm-hmm. the point was. And I know one of my favorite moments in the film, and it was minor, but it shows that Bradley Cooper even has respect for secondary characters. Um, the Andrew Dice Clay character yeah. makes mention of Bradley Cooper's vinyl collection, and Bradley Cooper says, oh, you can take whatever you want. And Andrew Dice Clay says, I don't know if you know who you're talking to. Yeah, he's like, you said that to the wrong group of guys. Right. It's, um, it's, yeah. it, it's There's... so beautiful. The, in encapsulating who the dad is yeah. in a in a warm hearted way and in a in a in a normal Hollywood film, I think that would have been yeah. cut out. I think there's one character that is stock, and I think that's a problem for the movie. Mm-hmm. Um because everybody else I agree, even if they just get one scene, Dave Chappelle basically gets this one yeah. little detour and it's great and you're just like, Well, I could just watch this movie. Yeah. And there's something in the trailer with Chappelle that's not in the film yeah. that hints that that Part was a little longer, but yeah. what? Who's the character you're talking about? The because manager, I, yeah, yeah, Lady Gaga's manager. Yeah. Um, I love the Lady Gaga Bradley Cooper romance in it yes. so much too. Um, I love that scene where they're falling for each other in the parking lot. Oh my gosh! And they just have this playful dialogue with one another. I, I and like I can't get enough of the line where he's like, "I got a secret for you. You might be a songwriter." but I'm not very good at keeping secrets. <laughs> and I love that. I mean, like he's such a fucking good director. They made the face off nose trace thing hot. <laughs> like that's how good of a director he is. That scene, the yeah. scene when they're in the grocery store trying to buy the that's things for her oh, hand God. is like, yeah. it's again, it's so smart about the way that people fall for each other. Yeah. Because I remember watching that scene and remembering like, 1998 and we're not dating but i went erica needed to go grocery shopping and i'm like i'll come with you and we're going through the, and that's immediately what i thought of it was like yeah. yeah it's these little moments where you're getting to know each other in these familiar settings that mm-hmm. um it's just so nice that has a movie show us two characters falling in love and letting us understand why they love each other yes. instead of just yeah. saying like they love each other cuz he's the man and she's the woman and and they're the two stars right so they have to <laughs> right. and she and she's really took me by surprise in this movie too because i had a limited amount of knowledge of Lady Gaga as an actress because I just see how shitty like Robert Rodriguez directs her basically, where it's just like <laughs> she's it's, in like one she's scene, in like one she? second yeah. of Machete Kills, but yeah. I never saw her on American Horror Story. But I'm watching this and I'm just like, no, she's like Cher. She's like a natural actress, very natural. Um, yeah, and I i adore the movie and i can't wait to watch it again i think it might be a a fast and furious situation where i watch it up to a certain point i think it's gonna have to be for me but again the fact that i sort of recontextualize what the whole movie is about it's it's not that it takes a turn it's that it's all building to that yeah and i can't get that out of my head but if i could just watch two-thirds of it as like this love story maybe that's what i'll train myself to do and also the scene that we're all sort of dancing around was done in a very different way yes. than that is usually shown in yes. movies and um i still have it in my head right now because it's one long unbroken shot where yeah. he uses the dog to emphasize it's all very traumatic for me to yeah. think about so yeah <laughs> sorry it's a it's a great movie it's a great and it's a great studio movie yes Right, and I it's mean, from Warner Brothers, and they used to do this all the time in like right. the late '80s, early '90s. Right. And if this, and the great thing is, this was a really big hit 
So hopefully that will encourage them to make more so. movies for grown-ups. I, I kind of thought Not it would be... Mule. Movies about human beings. <laughs> I kind of thought it would be more of a phenomenon than it even ended up being. Yeah. Um, and I just, you know, I know there was already backlash, and I'm sure once Oscar nominations come out... There will be an even greater backlash. Yeah, I'm not the looking forward to that. sold a bu- bunch, right? Yeah, it as really it should. Well. Those yeah, songs are fucking really amazing. Well. Yeah. Even if she sings the wrong song at the end. I like uh, <laughs> music in my eyes a lot now. Um, that one's really good. The one, the the moment that you and Alejandro put the seed in my head where it's just like, hey, the last song isn't as good as you think it is. I'm just like, shit, it is a Whitney Houston song. It needed to be yeah. the other song, but... Remember yes, because, me this way? Yes. Okay. Because then yeah. that would have been just like the end of the um, Judy Garland version, only in musical terms. Yeah. Okay. You uh, recorded it off of TCM. I it did. Was on TCM. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Jan and I were watching it, and I know this is a tangent. Um, James Mason is so great. And when you think about what he's doing in that version of Star is Born, we can quickly hate him, but we never hate him and that's difficult uh your number one sir of not hating something yes uh my number one film is the ballad of buster scruggs i had no idea it would place that high Ethan yeah. cohen film um part of it might be that i love the cohen brothers but another part was i had no idea that this was being made that this was coming out it appeared and i'm like really mm-hmm. i have two and a half hours and i subscribed to netflix did we talk i know we talked about the movie on the show so i knew that it existed and all the i never saw a trailer or anything i just saw the image of tim blake nelson and i assumed okay he must be buster scruggs mm-hmm. and um so we press play on the movie and we're 10 minutes in and his story kind of resolves. And I thought, well, I don't know what this movie is because I thought that's what this movie was, was just a movie about him. So I had no idea that it's sort of an anthology. And there's all this talk on social media about what your favorite sequence was. But all of the sequences are really great. They really are. I mean, there isn't a bad one in the bunch. Um, beautifully shot, beautifully acted. The one I brought this up either last week or a couple weeks ago that... No one seems to talk about meal ticket, maybe because it Which might... one's meal ticket? Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson. Oh, yeah. bleak. Maybe yeah. because it, it <laughs> with, might be the bleakest sequence <laughs> right. in a very yeah. bleak film. Yeah. But I don't know if I could talk about this without spoiling it. The decision that Liam Neeson makes at the end of that sequence, has anyone discussed the fact that given the act that he's now going to represent, he has purchased the chicken but not the rest of the act. And he might not be able to make, he might've made a really big mistake. And the person who sold him the chicken, that might be that person's scam because the whole thing of that act isn't the chicken. I felt like he bought the act with the chicken. That was my interpretation. But All I'm saying is things might be as bleak for Liam Neeson as they were for another character in the sequence. Um, Every sequence has its joy. You have talked about the girl who could not be rattled, which is really the the sort of diamond in the middle of the setting. (laughs) Right, yeah, Yeah. right. Um, But I keep going back to the James Franco sequence, which not only gives us pan shot, which <laughs> I will use as a meme for the rest of my life, but also what is arguably the the film's funniest line. First time. 
first time. Um, <laughs> so accomplished. And I see some people grumbling about certain aspects of it, but it is this epic, fully realized thing yeah. um, that every point of stylization adds to what it's trying to be. The chapter-like structure, the use of the illustrations from the book, the fact that at the end of every sequence we see the ending in the book, which adds to it. We talked mm. about this yeah, previously. Right. Just an epic. I saw it after you two had talked about it on the show, and I'm glad that I did because it made me pause on the book parts. Yeah. And it added, it, not that it like it wasn't working for me before that, but it added another just little element. Which is something yeah. you can do on Netflix that you can't right. do in a yeah, theater. That's true. Yeah. Um, I may have told this story before. When I went to see Pee Wee's Big Adventure when it first came out, that was my first realization that everyone had a VCR. <laughs> <laughs> is that the Holy Ghost? My my throat just made a weird noise. Sheila is listening. <laughs> after after Large Marge, yeah. I saw people in the theater reaching for remotes that's that so weren't funny. there. Yeah, that's so weird. But I've if, never done that. In my if life. you're gonna watch Buster Scruggs at home, you might want to do what Adam's talking about because each one of those is really great and yeah. adds immeasurably especially at the end of The Girl Who Could Not Be Rattled. Yeah. I need to watch... My plan was to watch it again before putting my list together, and I I just didn't get to it because I do want to watch it again and pay better attention to that final story because that's still the one that I'm probably mm-hmm. the most lukewarm on. Mm-hmm. I understand why it's there and why it's placed where it is. It's It makes sense given what the movie is. Um but I want to see it again. Yeah, I had trouble settling into the last one just because the one preceding it was such a oh yeah a yeah, masterpiece yeah. Right. that I it was like following the Godfather. And I may <laughs> be wrong, but I, executioner. I think the Ballad of Buster Scruggs will be very repeatable. It's a movie yeah. that you can oh, I think so, yeah. again and again. Definitely. And, again. and I good. think like a lot of Coen Brothers movies, again, I think as the years go on, people will just speak more and more highly of it. Mm-hmm. I think people are trying to wrap their heads around it right now. Even the distribution of it. Like, what? There's this new Coen Brothers movie? Just showed up on Netflix? It's a Western anthology? And what it, is this? It did get a brief theatrical yeah. run because yeah. friend of the site, Mike Pickley, managed to see it in a theater and said it was awesome. Where yeah. did it play around here? Landmark uh, Century. Century. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. okay. For like maybe two or three weeks. Okay. Right on. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number one should not surprise anyone who's been paying attention, uh, and it is Hereditary. Uh, the best horror movie I saw this year and, um, certainly the most disturbing again, another first time feature from a director who just knows exactly what movie he wants to make. It is as confident as any of these other movies that we're talking about and features one of the greatest performances of the year from Tony Collette, uh, who's always good, but like is another level here. Um, Again, I didn't know anything about the movie. I didn't really even know what it was about. So something happens halfway that I did not know was going to happen. Another thing that gets very casually spoiled in conversations about the movie. Um, And that shook me. And I was just not prepared for then where the movie would go from Mm -hmm. there. Some of the most haunting and disturbing imagery in a movie in the final moments. Um, Adam mentioned where Suspiria goes in its last half hour. But consider oh, where hereditary it. goes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and none of that I felt was foreshadowed or winkety winked. There is some stuff where I was like, 
what's with that creepy guy at the funeral? Yeah. And then I'm like, why is he naked in a closet? <laughs> like stuff like that where I felt like there was good setup payoffs with it. Um, the debate as to whether or not it's a horror movie is insane oh to me. Yeah. And I was sort of, I actually engaged in an argument about it with somebody for all of 10 minutes. And, uh, they pointed out that the director himself said, uh, that he wanted to focus on the family drama first. And I said, well, that doesn't mean that it's right. just a family <laughs> drama. It yeah. means it functions as a family drama. And then it's also a horror movie. And he's making like, another horror movie next. So he knows what he's doing. Uh, I'm yeah. very excited to see whatever yeah. he makes. It's coming out next. this year, I think. Is it really? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, just a uh, kind of a movie that you see and you're like, oh, that's an all-timer. Like yeah. right out of the gate. Um Really, really incredible. And again, as I look at my list, and we'll 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 name all of our picks shortly. It's an incredibly dark list, with the exception <laughs> of like support the girls. And I don't know. I mean, A Star Is Born is pretty dark. Yeah. Buster Scruggs is pretty dark. Patrick, yeah. it was an incredibly dark year. Man, was it? Yeah. I don't know. Does this reflect? Yeah, well, whatever. It doesn't reflect. I think it definitely, it's so like, dark. It doesn't. It can't reflect anything. <laughs> it, it can't help to speak to like where you were at in yeah. the year. Yeah. So I mean, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But did it make it worse? I guess is what I'm asking. I don't think so. <laughs> like, I, I don't think so. I mean, it's just a matter of what resonated with you. Like in 2001, yeah. I was depressed all the time, and I really liked Crazy Beautiful. That was like my number four. <laughs> And if I look back at that list, I'm just like, oh, yeah, I remember I was depressed then. I think I put... Uh, Crazy slash beautiful. What is there. the... Oh, shoot. Moonlight Mile, I think, placed yeah. shockingly high on my list yeah. that year. Maybe number two. Yeah. Patrick, now that you say that, I'm looking at my list through this Prism. new lens. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm thinking, if you really look at my list, which I am, it's... <laughs> incredibly bright light films yeah. fighting with the dark ones. Oh, there you go. So That's... my list is having a tug of war right now. <laughs> the darkness won on my list yeah. for sure. Mine is like yours. I joked, I noticed that I joked to Rob that my list is like half a Good Morning America anchor from the 90s mixed with her angsty teenage song. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, before we do our honorable mentions, Adam, do you want to count down your list from 10? Uh, yeah, 10 was a tie between Hellfest and Little <laughs> Italy. Remember that from two hours ago, everyone? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> number, we talked about good movies after that. Um, number nine was Tully. Number eight was Mary Poppins Returns. Number seven was Destination Wedding. Number six was Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. Number five was Searching. Four was Suspiria. Three was Paddington 2. Two was Annihilation. And one was A Star is Born. And my number 10 was Sorry to Bother You. Number nine, Mary Poppins Returns. Number eight, Three Identical Strangers. Number seven, Mandy. Number six, A Star is Born. Number five, Hereditary. Number four, Paddington 2. Number three, Roma. Number two, Won't You Be My Neighbor. And number one, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. My number 10, The Sisters Brothers. Number nine, Support the Girls. Number eight, Revenge. Number seven, A Star is Born, the only film to appear on all three of our lists. Oh. Uh, number six, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Number five, Sorry to Bother You. Number four, First Reformed. Number three, You Were Never Really Here. Number two, Mandy. And number one, Hereditary. So did you have honorable mentions? Sure. Um, some of mine include, I'm sure there are movies I forgot, but Destination Wedding, Tully, Eighth Grade, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Roma, and Black Klansman. 
uh, mine were Avengers Infinity War, Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Film Worker, First Reformed, Hereditary, Revenge, Roma, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Three Identical Strangers, Unsane, and Won't You Be My Neighbor. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And my honorable mentions, because it was a great year, are You Were Never Really Here, The Favorite, Revenge, House with a Clock in Its Walls, Annihilation, Game Night, Chappaquiddick, Suspiria, A Quiet Place, Black Klansman, Tully, First Reformed, Mission Impossible Fallout, RGB, Eighth Grade, and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Wow, look at that. A lot of uh, sameness on our honorable mentions. Yeah. Um, But only one movie on all three of our lists. That's interesting. Well, that's good. Yeah. My honorable mentions should have been a top ten list, but instead you get Little Italy. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, thank you guys uh, for doing this show. It's always fun. And I'm always excited to hear your lists. So they're the only lists that matter to me. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and thank you guys for listening and for another year of uh, listening to F This Movie. You can share your top ten lists underneath. We're doing top tens all week. So make sure you're checking out fthismovie.com every day to read other people's lists of favorites from the year. And uh, I don't know. Thanks, guys. Go see Escape Room. <laughs> Thanks for listening to FS Movie.